Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. your help. What's wrong? Is it Michaela? No, it's Carl. He's cheating. That son of a bitch is cheating. Welcome back to Mother May I Sleep With podcast. Today we are doing a movie called Mistress Hunter. And guys, it's a really, really, really good one. I am obsessed with this movie. It was picked by our guest from a selection that I sent her. Her name is Tiffany Maddox. And funny story, I don't love it. When husbands are like put their are like, oh, but you should talk to my wife like sort of thing. Because I'm like, she, you know, like let her speak for herself. But funny how Tiffany and I are now connected because her husband has sent like left some really supportive comments on my Instagram that led me to believe that he was possibly a fan of the show. So I DM'd him and I said, hey, do you ever want to come on the show? And he said, "Uh, you should really talk to my wife. And I was like, you know what? Actually, I kind of like this. This is I'm feeling good about this. So he hooked me up with Tiffany. Hello, Tiffany. Hi. I am so glad that we're here because just in the brief moments that we've just like talked, you told me that you are currently making documentaries about sexual things. Yes, I am kind of slightly obsessed at the moment. I wanted to do a thing about sex work in the shutdown and how sex workers were kind of functioning, but that's that's bubbling away. But I've been... um, before COVID, can we remember what that was like? Pre-COVID, no. PC. Um, I was doing some stuff um, with a female porn director called Erica Lust, who I am obsessed with and kind of fell in love with and then have been kind of working with um, people who own sex dungeons and sex workers to kind of create a different narrative that isn't so doom and gloom and judgmental and kind of a little bit gross, which is what I think media tends to do. So that's my remit right now. Oh, I'm so excited about that. I feel like you'll have some interesting insight on some of the areas of this movie that really, I mean, as a woman, pissed me off. This movie hit a lot of uh, things for me that I didn't know were there. Very triggering things, just like through knowing people who have been hurt by cheating in a big way and, you know, just that attitude from this man and some of these people in this movie i feel like there is this is like the implications of what is happening played really well on screen for me i felt like the actors had really good attitude and really good um sort of like the underpinnings of their performance was really good and angering so i would love to know if you as we go through this if some of those deep-seated issues that these characters appear to have uh, strike anything for you. I should also say that (laughs) I'm such a ditz. You are in London, and we're recording this very late for you, midday for me, which is a rare recording slot, and I'm so excited to have our first international guest, you guys. 
And I'm not even drunk. I mean, I would usually be drunk by this time. So I deliberately didn't get too drunk because I knew I wouldn't be able to maintain it for the for the hours that I was <laughs> required to be compass mentis. Honestly, I really I really appreciate that because I know it's like 10 p.m. there. You probably want to, you know, take the edge off, but you can feel free. <laughs> Of course, if you want, I'm I'm not the babysitter. You are allowed to start indulging if you want, because this is quite the movie. Okay, so let's just get into it. We're going to open up on a blonde woman speeding down the freeway and crying with mascara running down her cheeks, and she calls one of her girlfriends. We're going to start off by playing the very beginning of the movie, um, zero minutes to one minute and 16 seconds. <laughs> Hello? Val, I need your help. What's wrong? Is it Michaela? No, it's Carl. He's cheating. That son of a bitch is cheating. Oh my god, where are you? I'm in my car. Somewhere, driving. Just driving. Come to my place now. You probably shouldn't be driving in the state that you're in. Okay, just call Melanie. I could really use both of you right now. Absolutely, anything you need. Why did he do this to me? I mean, what did I do? Nothing. You did nothing. This is about him. I gave up my career for him and for our family, and this is how he repays me? How long has this been going on? When did it start? Have I always been this blind? You weren't blind. You believed him when he said you were the only one. He loved you and only you. How did you find out? A few weeks ago, I knew something had changed. Okay. So, um, the setup here, and we only spend a little bit of time in this space. And I loved the way that they did the beginning of this because the pace just, it kicks off really quick and it doesn't stop. It's a very well-paced movie. But the setup here is that she drove to see her two girlfriends, Melanie and Valerie. And Valerie's the one who says he loved you and only you. She's the one who does a lot of the assertive talking. The more passive friend is Melanie. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a nightmare scenario. (laughs) (laughs) It absolutely is. And I, this, I swear to God, when I first started watching this movie, because the, you just get into it so quickly, I honestly thought that I had like caught the end of another movie. It felt like it was the kind of wrapping up of another movie. And it took me like a quick second to realize that we were just in it all of a sudden. And it kind of blew my mind a little bit because I was like, whoa, <laughs> we're immediately like foot on the gas. Like there's no question about whether or not this guy is like a good guy or you know there's no gray area it's like he's a rat we're in it like she's gone to see her friends yeah and i was still like as the movie continued i was still kind of shocked that that first scene wasn't like the culmination of the movie totally it could have been it could have been the climax and it would just like you know, we do kind of, tra- you know, trace back because we see there's the unpicking of it and, and the signs. But my God, there's sort of this visceral. I, I'm a personal fan of um, crying in the car is one of my favorite things to do. And I'm really upset. It's like, just oh, cry yeah. really badly in the car. <laughs> so I was really with Jackie in that moment. 
Yeah, no, it's um, it's bad in L.A. too, because everyone sort of cries in their car. It's like a very common thing. But we all, I think, drive around as if no one can see into our cars. It's like <laughs> just a bunch of people ignoring collectively that they're crying. Um, I have to ask, by the way, is your husband in the U.S.? Are you guys in a 90 day fiance situation? Oh my God, it's 90 day fiance all the way. <laughs> I know it's not, but what's the situation there? Is he, is he there or, or here? Um, so he's there at the moment. In fact, we've never actually lived together and we've been married for, uh, I think almost three years, which may be the secret to a happy marriage. I don't know, but, um, no, that sounds incredibly hot to me to just like <laughs> not see someone most of the time. Yeah, it's um it has its it has its real benefits. And you know, obviously it sucks. The pandemic stuff obviously sucks, but like it's it's kind of nice because when we do see each other it's really special and I get to have the best of both. I think when we were texting you you were like, "Oh, you're in the UK. How exotic." And I was like, "Yeah, I get to have Taco Bell when I'm there and then, you know, standardized universal healthcare when I'm here. Like it's a dream." Yeah. Wow. Wow. I am so you have no idea how jealous I am of you. There's just a lot of pure jealousy um, (laughs) about anyone who doesn't live here. But I feel like as much as we're all going through a pandemic, and that's like the overarching thing for all of us, um, you don't have to be in the United States. And that's just thrilling for you. Yeah, it is. It is, I have to say. And everybody keeps asking me, the onus is always, when are you going to move to the States? As if like, there's this idea still that like, that's the kind of aspirational thing. And, and I'm like, why doesn't anyone ask if he's going to move here? Like, when is he coming here? So I always find that a little, I always find that a little odd, but um, I always say, in the in the run up to the to the last election, I kept saying, "Well, we'll we'll wait and see what happens, whether or not I'm going to go." <laughs> and then um, it happened, and now um, he's coming here. <laughs> yeah, it's very '80s to think that it's like cool to come to America. Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're just finding that out now. So anyway, um, I do want to say that this movie, because we're sort of praising the pacing of it and all of that, it's written by a guy named Brian Dick, who is a serial lifetime writer. He, I don't think we've done any of his films so far, but this guy's written like a good 20 movies. It does have a female director, Penelope Booten. <laughs> I, yeah, I was gonna I was wondering how you would tackle that one because I had no idea. I tried my best. And she also has done a lot of TV movies. She's done some episodic stuff. So yeah, I thought this was great. And IMDB hit this with a hard five, Ooh. which is crazy considering some of the worst movies I've watched for this show hover around a six. So um yeah, that's that's astounding. I love that there was, um, I love that they had a female director and I think there is a, there is a female-ness to this movie, which I guess we'll get into, but there, it, there is a mostly female cast of very good female actors. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you that this is a boss babe movie and I realized that after watching it, that this is a, a, a movie about two women starting a business essentially. Yeah, and it's not cupcakes, my God. No, this is not 
<laughs> this is the story of how we started Hello Giggles. Not really. <laughs> um, but like, can you imagine? Okay. So um, we go to from this horrible scene to a beautiful suburban home. Um, she is recalling sort of for her friends what got her to this place where she's upset and sure her husband is cheating on her. So Jackie is at the stove while her daughter Michaela is working on some art. And when I saw the daughter sort of holding up this picture, I thought, God, if this was a really well-written movie, that art would come back at some point. Um, and with Lifetime movies, you just never get that, right? So then her husband, Carl, enters in his suit I don't, I'm not sure how to describe Carl. He's like a ginger. He looks like he, he looks very commercial. He looks like he would be in something for Axe Body Spray or Old Spice or something like that. Um, he, I think he is a pretty successful actor based off what I was looking up from him last night. Martin Copping is his name. Um, this son of a bitch. So he, yeah, he's done quite a bit of TV and film. He's been working since the 90s, baby. No, since the 70s. Okay. Um, so he comes in and right away we see that he and his daughter have this great bond. She comes running for him and we see that Jackie is sort of, you know, not the main event in the house. Like it's very much an afterthought for him to respond to her question. Did you have a good day today? And he's, you know, very sort of like, yeah, it was a good day, but it's still going and his phone is ringing. So he takes off to go answer the phone upstairs, very suspicious for a work call. And then later that night, he's texting up a storm with someone in bed when Jackie comes in and asks him if he said goodnight to Michaela and if he read to her because he was hope she was hoping that like he would take initiative to read to her at night. She lets him know that she liked it more when he was engaging with them and she's going to finish putting the kid to bed. And when she gets back, they need to talk. But of course, when she comes back, he is sound asleep. Now, I worry about phones and relationships and how much the phone is a point of contention for people. I really think you got to do the best you can from you know, allowing yourself to be paranoid about someone else's phone habits. But this is sus 101. Oh my God, 100%. He is, he's from the get go. First of all, he is, he's generic dad from, from day one. Like he just looks like, as you said, like an axe body spray guy or like he's sort of, sort of generally good looking, middle of the road, generic dad, little distracted. Um, it's established like super early on that he's kind of on his phone all of the time. And it's like, it's cheating sign 101 really, isn't it? I mean, also I've, I've never ever looked at a phone and not found something because I guess if you're looking for something, then you're going to find it. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's confirmation bias. So I was like, Jackie, stay away from the phone, girl, get away from the phone. Well, I always say that once you don't trust your partner with their phone, like there's really no coming back from that because everyone has a phone and they're not going to take a break from it. So it's just constant paranoia in their pocket, in their hand. And I, for me, I'm like, once phone trust is gone, the relationship is kind of over, whether you're willing to oh admit God. it or not. So 100%. in the morning, she gets ready um in the bathroom and carl enters and grabs her by the waist he's feeling very randy that morning and she's like oh you had a nice sleep he starts to try and um 
have a quick bone sesh. But she says, Michaela's up already. And he gives her some attitude back where he's like, look, I said I was sorry for last night. So this is what's important about Carl. He has this attitude that it's just... I, I think maybe it's a universal attitude, and I would hope everyone can see it, but women women know this attitude well. Yeah, and he also has, throughout the movie, but this is the first time we see it, just a real entitlement to him, a real entitlement to her, her space, her body, and, and we see that kind of play out throughout, but he... he he seems, I mean, what is he, what does he do for a living? He's like a hedge fund manager or something. He's in investments or something kind of aggressive like that. Yeah. There is a, a weird kind of aggressive, I don't know. But I, I want to say childish undertone, like a bit tantrum-y, but I think attitude's right. Yeah. It feels like a little um, mama's boy gone bad. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he... Tries to grab her when she's doing her eye makeup, which really pissed me off. I just have to say, <laughs> she she had an eye pencil right next to her eyeball, and it like physically recoiled when he grabbed her. Yeah, he has no awareness of her safety or needs at this point, no. and they do a great job of establishing that right away. So you know, she says it's more than just him falling asleep last night. It's that he's never there anymore. And of course, he you know he says, "Oh, work has been so crazy. I don't even take lunches anymore. In a few weeks, things should be better with work." And he was thinking they could go to Bora Bora or Fuji or Aruba. And she says yes to all three. And he goes, "See, this is engaging." And so he calls back the engaging comment from the night before. Clearly that stuck with him. And when she when he leans in to hug her, she just looks chilled to the bone. Like she just had a major realization or something click for her in that moment. And God, I feel for her so bad from this point on because I can just I can feel what this character's stomach must have felt like for her. She must have just felt sick to her stomach. Yeah. And it's a, also a weird red flag. I find that when people aren't emotionally engaged in any way, um, or they're sort of emotionally neglectful or they're not aware of someone else's needs, then what they often will turn to is a grand gesture because they're just like, well, I've been behaving kind of pretty appallingly, but I'm not going to address that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to buy something big. I'm going to suggest a big trip, you know, whatever else it might be just to kind of placate the other person from, from, I guess, being allowed to have that feeling or, you know, or, or not even engaging with them enough to have a conversation about it, but just kind of wipe the slate with a grand gesture. That is so true. And I feel like cheaters love the we're going to take a vacation thing because mm -hmm. it's you're selling the person on the idea for the moment and it feels really thrilling, but it's something that can't happen tomorrow. And so you yeah. can promise it and then put it off for as long as possible. Oh, God, these men, I swear. So we cut back to the group of girls, Valerie and Melanie, and she says that she knew things were changing when she just when she checked the mail one day. And that's what made her really suspicious. So we see her entering the house with the mail. And there's this mailer from a vacation company that says, on your next day, please enjoy 10% off on us. 
And her friend is like, yeah, so what? Like you got a coupon in the mail. And she goes, yeah, for a resort we've never stayed at. And then we cut back to Jackie in the kitchen who is on the phone with Carl's office. And she asks for him and the assistant says that he's at lunch and the music swells like lunch. He said he doesn't even take those anymore. Right away, the wounded lifetime fan in me is thrilled with how many of these sort of like loose ends are being met right away. We got the engagement thing. We got the lunch thing. I'm, I'm, I'm personally, this is what sent me on my high when I was watching this. Yeah, there's a lot of loose ends in this movie that I'm kind of obsessed with. But also, sidebar, a friend of mine found out that her ex was cheating on her, not in exactly the same way, but in a similar way. He'd sent her a screenshot of this um, place they were going to stay at. Um, but I think he'd sent it, he'd sent it to the wrong person, essentially. Oh and then she God. had that like stomach drop moment. And I remember she called me at work and she was just like, I just know it. I just know it. And I just like, well, maybe it was a mistake or, you know, maybe he wants to take you there or whatever. And she was like, no, it was not meant for me. Like, I just know in my gut it was not meant for me. And then obviously subsequently they, they kind of fell apart. But sometimes it is that little thing where you're like, shit, okay. I know. And when they hit, they hit like out of nowhere. You're just like, nope, I know we've been in a happy relationship for X amount of years, but factually, there is no way that was sent to me. And I just, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, the mailer was a great detail in the writing. So she says, no, her friend goes, did you call his cell? Like the assistant said, and she's like, no, the next day I decided to go to his office and follow him, which I thought was sort of a great comedic moment. And this movie, has some like fun comedy in it. Um, I was laughing out loud last night and I told one of my friends, I told Jennifer Neese, um, she has to watch this movie because there's <laughs> some great character work. So we see her following him pretty closely behind his office. Um, and right down the road, she is not an expert at trailing someone. But when she pulls up to the location, it's an apartment building. And this is the type of apartment building a mistress would live in. There's no other way to say it. It's like where your husband goes to cheat with like a 20 something girl who doesn't know any better. Yeah, it absolutely is. It gave me Veronica Mars vibes. And funnily enough, I keep getting, I kept getting Veronica Mars vibes throughout this with like the telephoto lens and like the, the kind of stalking and, and watching and trying to catch a cheetah kind of vibe. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen that exact apartment. Uh, and a young Veronica Mars. Yeah. I, you can also tell that the um, place that they are faking as the driveway for this is like the side of probably a house that they rented to shoot in or something. It's it's kind of great how they put it together. But it's just like, you know, it's got it's it's all the units, doors or exterior, um, which is always just triggering for me to see because of all of the horror films I've watched. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's so happy to see him. She comes out skipping down the hallway in a pink, long pink nightie. And she's like, Carl. And she kind of like gallops towards him. It's very cute. And I, I'm i not someone who envies youth and other people, but I am finally reaching an age where I can recognize it in people in a way that I will probably never have again. Like, I will never gallop down a hallway to see an older man that travels most of the time for work. <laughs> I Those years are so far behind me. 
Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like, she's this like beautifully sort of like everything about her is sort of wafty and carefree. Like she has this sort of like wafty light sort of honey colored hair. And as you said, this sort of like pretty pink nightgown and it's all sort of airy. Everything's really airy and light and kind of in stark contrast to this slightly broken woman sat in her car having to watch this. Yeah, because you actually, they do a really good job of taking uh, Laura Lee Bell is the name of the actress um, that plays Jackie. And they do a great job of making her look haggard during points of this. And it's, um, I have to say props to makeup for that because you kind of forget how beautiful she is when you see her later. Um, Spoiler alert, uh, she has won an Emmy for I think her work on Young and the Restless, um, she's definitely a soap actress um, and good for her. She was great. So, yeah, from there, we um, cut back to the girls who are all talking together. Valerie, Melanie and Jackie. Let's play 553 to 748. Who was she? Why her? Doesn't matter. What do you want to do? She's going to leave him and take him for everything he has. Is that what you want? We'll support you, whatever you want to do. God, he's been a part of my life for 15 years. We have a daughter together. You can't just let him get away with this. When the Orsons backed out of the Miranda property, you think I just shrugged my shoulders and said, oh, well? No, I went after them. That is a real estate deal. Yes, and this is more personal. No, I'm going to confront him. And I'm going to let him know that I found out. Why bother? He's just going to lie. Like he's been lying to you this whole time. It's better if he doesn't know you're on to him. It gives you time to plan. Mm. Plan? Line up a divorce attorney, gather evidence, make sure you know where the money is. A lot of guys will hide the money if they think you're coming after them. I can't believe this. I don't think I have ever felt so angry. You know, a client of mine was telling me about this woman who provides a certain type of service. She referred to her as the mistress hunter. I thought she was just some suburban legend. Apparently not. What exactly does she do? She helps women in your situation. Helps out. Revenge. Like CIA-style torture. I mean, that's what I heard. No, nothing like that. She fixes things. Makes things right again, if that's what you want. Sounds sketchy. My friend said she's the real deal. So you want me to talk to her, see if we can track her down? I, I need time to think about it. This is still all very overwhelming. Okay, whatever you decide, you can't tell Carl. Not until you have all this stuff figured out. Just act like everything is normal. Well, Jackie's reaction to Valerie saying just act like everything is normal is just <laughs> absolute disbelief. And I want to know, Tiffany, what your initial thoughts of this friendship group was when you first watched the movie like the very first time you know this is such an interesting scene because in this scene we we get to know the dynamics of that friendship group and we know probably it just sets up all three of those characters really beautifully we know that sort of um melanie is a little more rational a little more logical um and sort of supportive that <laughs> the Valerie is a woman who is so determined um, to get her to get what she wants that 
regardless of whether or not somebody pulls out of buying a house, you're going to buy that house from Valerie, which is kind of terrifying. Like whether, whether you have the mortgage right. ready or not, you are buying the, you know, the Miranda property. Um, and also I kind of love that there is a, there is a feeling of like leaping into action about this. Like she's obviously kind of distressed. Um, and, and Jackie's feeling all of this, all of this stuff. It's still really fresh as, as a wound, but from within that dynamic, she has kind of both, both sides of the coin in, in the support. So someone who's being more frank with her and, and someone who's actually as, 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 as we all have friends that do kind of make it a little about themselves <laughs> when you're in a little bit of pain um, in the form of Valerie who immediately leaps into what she would do. So it's, it's kind of an interesting scene to have right out of the gate because you just know all you need to know about those people. Right. Because Valerie's so assured, like, how could you, especially in a desperate state when you're unsure of what to do, how could you not listen to Valerie? She's the one who's offering rash solutions, which I think anyone (laughs) who is, you know, desperate to get revenge or try and get some leverage back in a situation where they feel like they're drowning. um, They love a rash solution. Go to the mistress hunter, which I would love to hear from you, your thoughts on the idea of a mistress hunter. First of all, dream job. I didn't know it existed, but now I know it exists. That's all I want to do. Just the idea of making men miserable for money. Like, tell me more. Where do I sign up? (laughs) I'm already a feminist killjoy. Like, let me do it 24-7 around the clock and the outfit. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. No, I... um I have to say that Mistress Hunter is definitely the most seductive title for this job, but I do feel like the onus should be put on the man. And but Husband Hunter isn't that fun. Yeah, it doesn't have the same ring to it. Mistress Hunter sounds a little sexy. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, I always, we'll get into this, but I, I have a, I have a thought and a feeling about like the way that the other woman is painted and it completely ties in with what you've said. It's not, the onus is on the scumbag who cheats, right? Oh, no, I love the mistress. I'll just cut to that now. I mind, yeah. I mean, I love the mistress. So yeah. <laughs> it's that night um, when Jackie, it's already night when she pulls up to her house and she comes in and Carl and Michaela are dancing together. And he is a silly, fun dad, which is something that you have to reconcile right away as a viewer because it's it's. It's very rare that you see parents truly engaged with their children in these movies to begin with. The kids are sort of always an accessory or a plot device or an afterthought of some type. But, you know, in the scenes that we see Carl and Michaela together, he seems really engaged um, outside of the failure to read uh, the night prior. So he finally notices after a moment that she's standing there and he asks her why she's, you know, how she's been, where, where was she? And she's like, oh, it was a good day. I was out running errands. And he says he had a a busy day, but it was good. You know, he really tries to (laughs) make it seem like he was white knuckling it through the day. So he says, she goes, well, at least you got out for lunch. And um, he, he gets a little He has a hard time figuring out what to say, but he manages to cover by saying that he had a client come in from out of town. He says that he builds this guy's portfolio by 12% every year, and he still wants to talk to him when he's in town. So I noticed this actor says percent. It's not a Boston accent, but the the R is missing from percent. It's percent. Did you pick up on that? Percent. I think that might be how I say it. 
percent. Maybe, Not maybe he's um, masking an accent, but it was, uh, it was kind of. I would say on the third watch, I was, I was excited for it. Oh, he's from Melbourne. He's Australian. So good. Yeah. So um, he's like, "Well, why did you call me at my office?" And she's like, "Oh, I was thinking about bringing lunch by. Um, I'm glad you weren't stuck behind your desk all day because there's been studies about how unhealthy that is." And he says, yeah, I guess I'm just going to start to take more lunches. So he says that he's going to go out and get some takeout for them at Jolly Johnny's. Um, and he's going to bring Michaela so she doesn't have to worry about cooking that night. And when he gets back, you know, if she's still tense. He can give her a massage. So he's really laying it on. And that night, Jackie's in bed and she's turned over facing away, sort of already in her sleeping position when he comes into the room and he's very, you know, Hey, you still up? And he starts trying to initiate something and she's just, you know, she's, you can tell this actress is doing everything she can in this moment to keep herself together. So she says that she's tired and he keeps pushing for it, but just like the, his, uh, his hands on her body makes her nauseous and she jolts out of bed and runs for the sink and starts to retch. And so he comes running after her trying to help her, which, you know, what the information that she knows about him aside, no one wants someone in the bathroom all up in their shit when they're about to puke. No, no way. It's, this I rem- I wrote in like big huge letters. Uh, he touches her and she vomits, which I think is like. Ugh. I mean, I can't think of anything worse. First of all, than having Carl himself, Carl Blanchard. I- have we discussed the Blanchard being the last name? I was like, somebody was recently no. reading about Gypsy Rose when they wrote this movie. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. every time, I wrote no, it, I, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I was like, is that an Easter egg? No, probably not. Um, but yeah, nobody wants nobody <laughs> wants anybody near them when they're vomiting. And I, I, this is a gross full disclosure. For some reason, I went through a period of just being sick all the time, mostly when I was in Texas, mostly because I was eating stuff that I shouldn't have been eating. And um, yeah, I would I would cry usually. Like what I would do is take off all my clothes and be sick, and then because um, I don't know why, that's just a thing I do. Um, and there have been more than one occasion where my husband has found me on the bathroom floor crying, and I would ask him with you know snot dripping out of my nose if he thought I was still pretty. And I think even then he was like. <laughs> Just trying his hardest not to not to vomit himself. I mean, I've had the norovirus multiple times around him, so um, I'm always always throwing up. Never from being touched physically, but yeah, there was there's something there's something really gross that happens immediately after this, and I'd say that not the vomit, but his reaction to the vomit and her is so gross. He, she tells him, like, get out. And she's really, like, sort of just, it's visceral. And, like, you know, again, no one wants to be around anyone when they're throwing up. So she comes out of the bathroom. And this woman decides to play it off as if we're never going to Jolly Johnny's again. I'm so sick from the food. And he says back to her, is that all you have to say? Don't you think maybe you should apologize? And uh, he says that he's upset with her because he chased her into the bathroom and she was ugly and he deserves an apology. I mean, uh, I was so mad. I I hate everything about this. Everything. Oh, my God. Well, because like, it's just so I feel she has to 
she's sickened by the touch of his hands. And she comes out and she's trying to be the bigger person and lie to him. And then she has to grovel. She apologizes and she says that she was harsh because he caught her in a bad moment and he accepts her apology and rolls over in a huff. And I will say the way he accepted the apology and rolled over in bed is what made me think that he has mommy issues. (laughs) Yeah. It was so childlike. It really is. It's so gross. It, that's the only word for it. I just, I felt skeezed out when I was watching that because I, ugh, I there was like this non-consensual thing that was kind of going on. She was like in a private moment. And this is also, they're going, this is the beginning of them in this weird sort of tango almost. They're playing this game where they both have some kind of information that they're guarding. And so they're dancing around each other. And when those two forces are forced to interact in a big way, like around this kind of potentially sexual situation, like it, there's too much icky tension, like it has to go somewhere and it ends up with him being a little baby boy. Yeah, and, uh, and we get some more real asshole stuff in the morning because she... <laughs> is I guess hitting snooze on her alarm like any red-blooded American. And he comes out of the bathroom and says, that's the fourth time you've hit snooze, still feeling sick. And the percentage in which this sounds like it's coming from a place of care is maybe 4%, maybe. Like he is 100% shaming her for staying in bed and blaming her for being food sick. Yeah, she's almost like inconvenient to him in some way. Right. And so he says he'll take uh, Michaela to school and he can do the pickup if she needs it. And she's like, no, I should be fine. But as soon as she leaves, she speed dials Val and says that she wants to meet the mistress hunter. So she pulls up to this warehouse area and enters a sketchy door. And she makes her way through this construction site of a place and calls, hello, Um, And then after a moment, we hear a voice and she's, you know, just sort of talking into the void here. She doesn't realize that she's being watched on camera. And um, we're going to play this scene 13 minutes to 1350. And this is going to be like sort of a tag team scene. I'm going to play the hallway part first. Who are you? I said, who are you? Jackie Blanchard. I don't know you. My friend Valerie gave me your information. And I don't know Valerie. I know. I I just found out that my husband was cheating and she thought maybe you could help. How could I do that? I don't know. That's why I'm here. I am lost. I've been completely blindsided. I gave him no reason to betray me, so... I guess I'm just looking for anything, if nothing more than just a little guidance. Uh. Around the corner and to the left, first door on the right. So my more sort of developed thoughts the more I watch this movie on this scene is realizing exactly how privileged this character is um, and how out of her element she is doing any sort of backdoor business. This is really um, 
overwhelming for her. And you think about it and it's like, Molly, duh, of course, not everyone can afford to go to a mistress hunter. Why did you think this was some sort of um, not necessarily exclusive situation? But um, you really realize, okay, some major money is at stake. This is a very fragile white woman who is afraid to be in this space, which I guess I can't blame her for. But the privilege that you see here from her is very interesting because it's just a, a brief glimpse into what her life is really like before she has to really get hard. Right. She's obviously lived a quite a, quite cushy, as we say. I don't know if you have used that term, cushy existence, sort of like she's been um, swaddled in some way and now she's suddenly confronted with like the physical almost like the physical ugliness of what's going on in this slightly scary warehouse looking place um it becomes it becomes quite physical like around her um and it goes from being this sort of dirty little secret that she's got wind of to to being made flesh almost totally no you're 100% right and i you know, I've never been married before. And frankly, I'm not even really sure if I've been in a relationship where there was like active cheating that I knew of. But I can't believe that not everyone can hire a mistress hunter. What would you do? What would you do (laughs) if you didn't have a mistress hunter? (laughs) I have no idea. They need to work that into like, I don't know, some sort of universal basic income for women only. Um, so that there's some form of reparations. I don't know. There's, there's got to be something, some sort of state-funded program for mistress hunting where everyone can have access. Oh, I mean, listen, I 100% agree with that. But then, you know, the incels and all the men going their own way, right. they come from this deep-seated belief that the only reason why a woman would get married is to drain a man. And so I almost feel like that would be harder to pass than almost anything right now, because there is such a toxic attitude about a woman coming out of a relationship like this, where especially one, you know, you're you're working from home, rather being a mom from home. um, She's not going to have the same setup. I think that, you know, this is basic advocacy, honestly. Um, But we're going to meet the mistress hunter. Um, this is a very exciting moment. 14 minutes to 1634. Jackie Blanchard, Hannah Armington. Sorry for the Wizard of Oz routine, but from time to time I get an interloper and it always seems to do the job of running them off. Plus I kind of get a kick out of it. So, you married a son of a bitch? Uh, yes. I'm sorry. I haven't offered you anything. Coffee, tea, wine, a shot of tequila? I haven't drunk tequila since spring break 02. So that's a no on the drink? I'm fine. Okay, let's get down to business then. Does your husband know that you know? No. This friend had referred you. What did she tell you I could do for you? Uh, She was a bit vague. She said that you could help make things right. That you were the mistress hunter. Ugh. I hate that name. It's not like I kill people. Why not a fair doctor or cheating specialist? Instead, they always have to use the dangerous one. Okay, 
This is what I do if you decide to hire me. I'll make your husband's life a living hell. The mistresses too. Good. But not like torture or anything, right? Oh no, not in the physical sense anyway. I'll just destroy their little love nest and give you all the evidence you need. We call this option one. I'll make him miserable and get you enough evidence to destroy him in court. That sounds good. Is there an option two? Mm. The romantic in me always hopes for this. I'll tear them apart and at the same time deliver Carl right back into your arms. Happy ending. Yeah, no, one. I want to do one. How fresh is this wound? Um, I've suspected for a while, but I confirmed the affair just a few days ago. That's pretty fresh. Are you sure you don't want to take a day or a week to think about this? I mean, after some time, option two might start to grow on you. No, I have the cash. Um, $2,000 on the commencement of services, and then another $2,000 after you get the goods on Carl. That's what I was told. Is that right? Well, okay then. Option one. And I'll take that shot of tequila now. Oh my gosh, she's everything I wanted and so much more. Oh, when I read the synopsis of this movie, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, like, I had a picture in my mind of what the Mistress Hunter would be. And she was, she was everything and more. Like, truly, I was so delighted with it. She's fantastic. And this actress has really worked. I mean, she's done a lot of, she's a character actor. She's done a lot of different stuff over the years. She also has a lot of credits for crew, miscellaneous crew, a lot of uh, voice acting on movies such as Crazy Rich Asian. She's also written a couple episodes of television, which is pretty major. Um, she's done stunts. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a really talented woman. She was born um, in Singapore. And I, I just love this actress and the performance she gives. It went places I really was not expecting. And she, um, you know, she's a comedic actress at heart, which was really fun to watch her sort of take on this role. So after, you know, Jackie's nice and liquored up, uh, they walk out of the warehouse and Jackie, Jackie asks her, you know, how she got into this line of work. And she says that a few years back, husband number one was cheating on her. So she looked under every one of his dirty little rocks and exposed every one of his secrets. And it felt good. And Jackie's very impressed that she's self-taught. And Hannah tells her that she will be, too, by the time all of this is over. Um, and Jackie and I sort of had the same reaction to that because <laughs> I was like, what do you mean, Mistress Hunter? Why would Jackie be an expert in this after all this? Um, and I guess, you know, she says that. Her big thing is that because she sort of skirts the legal line in a lot of ways or skates the legal line in a lot of ways, she, you know, needs Jackie or the wives to help as much as possible, look through his stuff, run sort of like little errands for her to help her get what she needs. And Jackie's really confused why she's paying her to do this. She has to get her hands dirty. So basically, you know, she tells her, oh, and uh, the other thing the Mistress Hunter tells her is that she needs to delete um, her GPS. And so, of course, as an audience member, 
and, you know, just watching Jackie, this is very concerning. Is she going to wind up murdered? She just gave two grand in cash to this woman who wants no trace of her ever existing in her life. Um, you know, I I was curious about the Mistress Hunter at this point. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, there are definitely some seeds that are sown, little discontent seeds that are sown throughout this of her character because she is she is kind of funny and, and she's like funny haha, but also a little funny odd too. Um, and so I kind of – there are a few moments in this movie where you're like, hang on, are you on the are you on the house side or not? But what I kind of love – and I had the same reaction, which was like, hang on, what are you paying her four grand for if you're having to do 50% of the work? But then I was like, well, actually, this is very each one teach one. This is very like, I don't know, is this like the Tom shoes of mistress hunting? Like go forth and like you do one and then you give right. one, like you learn on the job or like, you know, is this the solution to those awful multi-level marketing scams that get Facebook mums? Like maybe instead this is the new like pyramid scheme where like, you know, she will go forth, Jackie will go forth and teach it to someone else. And considering this movie takes place in the San Fernando Valley, I think that, you know, there are options that you can do in the city for sort of, um, you know, supplemental learning. And I think a lot of women in Jackie's position wind up taking a, a Reiki class at the House of Intuition. And this is like a career that she can get off the ground if she learns from the Mistress Hunter. So before... Jackie leaves. She tells her that she wants her to reconsider option number two or consult a divorce attorney because what they're about to do can get dangerous. She says revenge is like the blinding of two graves for it digs out both eyes. I've never heard that expression. Never in my life. I I still don't know if it's a if it's a true idiom or not. Um, But then I've had a lot of weird situations this week where I've been working with Americans and I realized that our allegories and idioms and and whatever are all really, really different. Because every time I say something, they look at me like, huh, what are you saying? So I just thought maybe I just didn't get it (laughs) because I keep saying really morbid shit, but, uh, and they don't get it. So I thought it was lost in translation, but if you've not heard it before, great. That means that I'm not completely out of the loop. So I looked it up as you were saying an incredibly relatable thing, which is so true, by the way. I um, have a friend who's from Australia. And the first time we hung out in person, she said something and I didn't understand what she was saying. And she said to me, oh, well, there is a little bit of a language barrier. And I sort of laughed because I was like, what do you mean there's a, a language barrier? And she's like, no, it is. She's like, we say totally different things. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah, having, you know, there's just kind of. So um, this expression um, is based on a Japanese proverb. Um, it's the if you seek revenge, you should be you should dig two graves um, thing. Jackie says um, that she wants him to regret thinking about ever cheating on her and she wants her to go get him not go get him get him though so she's like oh no i know what you mean so uh, you get this sense that hannah's probably not going to kill anyone but i'm still not totally sold on that at this point there's no real indicate like it's just so ominous there's no real indication exactly what the mistress hunter is planning on doing it, it sort of launches from like the very benign to the 
to the very sort of extreme. And there just seems to be like this huge swathe of gray in the middle, which is like, okay, what, well, what the, what the hell are you going to do for the next couple of days or weeks? Like, I, I don't even know if Jackie is any the wiser when she walks out of there. She knows that she has essentially opened Pandora's box. It feels very like, um, like a scene in a, in a, in a sort of like a Disney movie where like you call up, you sort of, you call the baddie in to like do some kind of curse and then you release it into the world and then you don't really know what's going to come back. It just feels theatrically ominous. Yes, exactly. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to, be- it's, it's all very hard to believe. So Jackie is home watching Michaela practice her cartwheels when Carl comes in from the side yard and he's holding a little brown bag with him and he asks her, you know, is there anything for dinner? And she's like, there's frozen lasagna. Then she notices the bag and she asks what's in there. And he says that he made a point to drive across town and get her favorite chicken soup because he thinks that she's still food sick. Um, So she says that she's surprised, you know, he drove all the way there and his attitude is very anything for you. So it's so hot and cold with them. You know, I'm sure she does have whiplash. It, I can imagine if you don't have a mistress hunter that this is the particular like hell that you live in deciding whether or not someone has changed or if they're just full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's the nuance as well that I think is actually done really beautifully that he's, he is not, he is a complete rat bag. Like we know that like he's, he's a dick, but he is a multifaceted dick, you know, as you said, like he has a relationship with his daughter and he, um, he's kind of really awful to Jackie and then will make a grand sweeping broad gesture yet again, you know, rather than actually listening to her intently and getting the fuck out of the bathroom when she's vomiting, will drive halfway across town to buy the chicken soup. Like there is a, there's just this, as you said, there's this whiplash, but there's also, he is not all bad all the way through him. He is a human being being presented as such, which is actually kind of interesting for for a movie where he's essentially the villain. Exactly. And then, of course, you have this like undercurrent throughout this whole movie of being like, well, was he really driving across town to get soup or was he seeing someone on the oh. other side of town? You, you can't trust this man. So she says she's going to eat it for lunch tomorrow. She brings it inside and picks up her phone um, because Valerie's calling and she tells her that, um, you know, she met with the mistress hunter and when she first got there, she thought she was going to get killed, but it worked out. Valerie asks her what Hannah's going to do. And she says that she's going to, you know, she doesn't really know yet, And she starts to get into it, but then Carl and Michaela come in. And so she has to play it off. And she says she's talking to Valerie and she says, um, you know, tell him, he says, oh, tell her hi for me. And she's like, well, tell him to fuck off. You know, they're having a cute girlfriend moment. Val tells her to keep her posted. So once Carl is asleep that night, Jackie gets up to do some work. She takes his wallet from the side of the bed and checks all of his credit cards on the couch downstairs. While she's doing this, Michaela comes down saying that she's thirsty and Carl comes down following after her saying that, you know, what's going on? And, um, you know, he says, isn't Michaela old enough to get her own water? And I'm like, you're her dad. Shouldn't you know, Carl? Like you you guys were so connected when you were dancing in the the living room earlier. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's Jackie. Like the popping and popping never happened. Sorry. <laughs> 
Right, right. The oh, the popping and locking. Yeah, you guys, I didn't get to play that scene because there's so many other uh, scenes that we want to watch. But don't, yeah, make sure you keep an eye out for the popping and locking if you make it over to <laughs> Lifetime Movie Club for this. So Jackie stuffs the wallet under the couch cushions. And then the next day, she is walking through town running errands. And there is a young boy outside pleading with people to help save the rainforest 2122 to 2216 I'll save the rainforest I'll save the rainforest people I'll save the rainforest what about your marriage so you want to help uh yes of course Find anything last night? No, nothing. Not in his car, not in his wallet. If he's keeping any incriminating evidence at the house, I have no idea where he stashed it. <laughs> he's a smart one. Most likely there's something in his office. Or maybe he rents a side place. So I don't have to do any more? No, for now. And this is going to be a regular thing every time we need to talk? Which one of the parks? I used to love playing dress-up as a kid. Have a nice day, huh? So, <laughs> this is where you... <laughs> I shrieked when I saw I, it. <laughs> I was dying. Because I heard this, like... This is what I told Jen she has to watch the movie for. Because I just know that she would love... <laughs> <laughs> the voice that this actress chose for help save the race. <laughs> she sounded like such like a bro. She sounded like a, a teenage boy, really enthusiastic about the rainforest. And she's wearing, you know, a cap and she has, you know, a vest on. And she, yeah, she looks like a, a, a teenage boy who shops at Hollister when you first sort of clock her character. And then you realize, oh my God. Hannah is wacky. Like, she's partially in this job for the cosplay. Oh, 100%. I have a question for you, Molly. If you were a Mistress Hunter and you had to reach out to Jackie in a disguise, any disguise in the entire world, you can create a full character, um, what would be your number one priority cosplay? Oh, God, that is so tough. I almost want to think about it. If that's okay, can I can I come back to you on that? Do you have an answer for yours? No, I think like it, it was so unexpected that it also set me up for the rest of the movie wondering like where where um, Hannah could be hiding. But I would want to go like I'd want to go take it to the extreme and maybe even dress up like like a trash can and then like pop my head out when Jackie goes to throw something away. And kind of like grab her by the hand and uh, oh, something like very odd like that. Oh, no, that's brilliant. Because, you know, when you first asked, my mind went straight to like, I would want to be a chef at Benihana. <laughs> and like, I would want to, you know, he like shows up to eat this meal and I'm there. But of course, that is entirely dependent on the wife being at Benihana. So I have to think of something. I mean, honestly, maybe one of those, you know, wacky dancers outside of um, car lots that they have, you know, those, <laughs> those sort of waggly guys that are outside. Yeah. I don't know what you call them. 
<laughs> it's what I sort of look like in general. I would love to be that or maybe inspired by sex in the city, like dressed as a sandwich outside of Subway or something. Yes. Yeah. I want to go very like weird with it. Like, because the rainforest, like save the rainforest get up is, is genius. But I think like you could push that to an absolute extreme. Like why not, why not just paint yourself gray and lie on the sidewalk and like nip her in the ankle when she walks past. I mean, you could get very um, like secret agent about it. The thing about the rainforest that's so genius though, is that you wouldn't register that if you were just a person you wouldn't think it's that strange that someone's giving a save the rainforest person a couple minutes of their time yeah. and then walking away without signing a petition or anything. Right. And so it, it has to be someone that you might want to converse with for two minutes and not have it seem like that big of a deal. And God, you know, hats off to the writer for this one, because <laughs> that's it. That was a great call. So Hannah from her rain, <laughs> rain, uh, forest gig heads back to her big white van and she drives this white van around everywhere, which is like not the most subtle vehicle at all, but she opens the back and we see that she has a full clothing rack of just various costumes that she changes into when she does these bits. And I'm obsessed with it. So we see Carl at his desk at work and he's checking his watch. It's, you know, that time. So he slips his ring off and he puts it away. He grabs a second wallet from his desk and he doesn't know that Hannah, of course, is outside with a lens that is on like an iPhone 69 or something like the, <laughs> the level of camera work that she's able to get through this lens. I'm like, you know what? Now that I've seen the rainforest bit, and now I'm seeing these photos you're getting. I feel like $4,000 is not a lot of money. <laughs> no, she must be spending that on like, because the production values of what she's doing, I mean, truly, I mean, th she even gets something printed up later on in the film. And I just think you can't really have much profit left after you've bought the costumes and um, probably paid for the insurance for the transit van, which is the least incognito vehicle I think I've ever seen. Right. Right. And, you know, I almost have to say that I feel like Hannah is a woman who's well aware of her worth. And I feel like that's so um, just deep, honestly, that she's this woman who is just so sure of herself in so many ways, yet she charges a terrible amount of money for her amazing services. And isn't that just a metaphor for the blind spots we all have in our own life? If I was Hannah, you know, if I was Hannah, actually, I would probably do it for two grand and, and somehow manage to work even harder than Hannah because I am terrible at business. But if I were to look at an ideal version of what that would look like, I would want a percentage of the divorce settlement. I would say yeah. I want 5% of the settlement. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. She, um, I think she must just do it for the love, right? Like, because we don't know very much about what her life is all about. I think she probably is just covering her costs and really she's absolutely, she's like rolling in it. Like she might be one of those, um, I don't know. She might be a secret millionaire. <laughs> oh, totally. No, this is like what you do when you like fall into a windfall of money and you're, and you're just like, oh, how do I spend my days in a way that's really productive yeah. where I feel like I'm working, but I don't need to do this. So 
we see that Hannah, she starts following behind um, Carl in a van and she already has a GPS on his car. She's gotten that taken care of. And she pulls right up to the girlfriend's apartment. We see that his girlfriend is in this like little red polka dot dress and she's greeting him with kisses. And, you know, again, this is like this kind of sells what an affair could be. I I have to say that I really sort of understood in a new way what an affair could mean to a person who needs to be outside of their marriage. Like what it, what it could really offer a person just this like vacation from life with someone who's young and fun and naive about the shit you're pulling on them. Like I, I get the appeal in, in some ways. Yeah. You get to have all of the wonderful sort of gooey butterfly feelings of an early stage relationship but without all of the emotional baggage that actually a relationship is, um, which is like a very idealized version of love because there is no, there are no sort of dirty dishes and socks and um, challenging conversations about in-laws. Like it's just sort of joyful meetings and sex and gifts and it feels like early days of dating. And I honestly, the thing that struck me about this was like, I wonder how, I don't know, I wonder how exhausting it must be actually to have a full-blown affair. Like not just like cheat on someone, you know, have a, a moment of idiocy and cheat on someone, but be able to have the balls to carry off like almost an entire double life. I, I don't get it. Like it must be, ugh. I feel like either lying must come incredibly easy to you or you're one foot in, one foot out of the Mm -hmm. marriage and just can't make that final decision. Yeah. Yeah. You want to have your cake and eat it? it. It's unreasonable to think about, though. So then, of course, you know, Carl takes his little girl out on a date and Hannah breaks into the mistress's apartment. Um, It looks like it was done on an episode of Trading Spaces. Like, this apartment is so, like, girl in her 20s, DIYing it up, going to world market. Her place is just so... It is It is a real accomplishment when you realize she's probably a 24-year-old sort of struggling nail tech. Um, you know, young, goes out with her friends a lot. Like, you know, you're like, wow, she has a great place um in reality but it's just such a stark difference from his life too i think that's also another thing that really bugged me about carl is i'm like of course you got some girl who lives in an overpriced one bedroom apartment probably spreading herself very thin to afford her humble lifestyle and you've got this gorgeous house out in valencia with your wife i mean her there's something about her apartment that was very um, triggering for me. So she, right when she's inside, Hannah finds a flyer for Beth, her nail technician services. She is a show up at your home type of girl. Um, someone that I would actually love right now. Cause I have not gotten a manicure um, <laughs> for the longest time in my life since maybe I was a child. So <laughs> she um, starts looking through the drawers and she finds a key Um, then we see that Jackie is at home 
looking at this gallery wall of photos they have. And I know I'm going to, I know someone's going to feel personally attacked by this. And this is not a personal attack, but I am so confused by gallery walls in people's homes where most of the photos were taken at the same family photo shoot. It's just various <laughs> shots from the same photo shoot. Yeah, yeah. It also is it this is really weird. This is completely tangential, but um whenever I see gallery wall photos now, I always think about OJ's house because that was like a stronghold in the case as changing out the gallery wall photos. So um that's I know that that will only resonate with me, but uh, it it was triggering for me for other reasons. No, I mean, I, I'm sure there's someone else listening who feels very seen by that right now. <laughs> and it's possible that OJ Simpson popularized the gallery wall because, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I live most of my life ever seeing a gallery wall. And now they're in every home you go into. Yeah. So she's looking at this, you know, aforementioned gallery wall and she just looks dead inside she's just washed out and lifeless which is just one of the many sort of contrasts between her and beth where that starts to pile up on you so she asks michaela if she wants to go to the park and enjoy the sun hannah's in her van now and she's still inspecting this nail salon brochure when carl and his girlfriend get back to her place and she watches them on the spy cams that she's put in and i'm like oh she really sees some shit Oh yeah, yeah. I also love that this is a great example of um, of Hannah skating around the law, you know, breaking and entering, and then planting devices. But she can't, <laughs> she can't get his credit card right. details. <laughs> no, you're you're so right about that. I there was many moments where I was like, that's that's not part of the line, Hannah. But yeah, I mean, this must be for her sort of the really thrilling part of this. Maybe it's, you know, equal mixture of disgust and secret titillation or something. But she gets to see these intimate moments that I think anyone would admit they would love to have their fly on the wall moments with just about anyone. Oh, yes. And the fidelity of those cameras. I don't know. Like whatever it is, the iPhone 300 or whatever she's using, my God, the quality is great. But there is something very, um, something deeply voyeuristic and satisfying about it. Because I, I don't know, I know that, I knew that Carl was was up to no good, obviously, when he's, um, when he's turning up at his mistress's house and she kisses him. But I'm like, well, you know, I haven't I haven't seen the full extent of it yet, but this is where you like really get to see and along with Hannah kind of revel in the disgust, really swim in the disgust of it all. Exactly. So we go back to inside of Beth's apartment and she and Carl are, you know, making out and he tells her, wait a moment. He wants to give her a surprise and he holds out a jewelry box and there's a necklace in it. And Hannah says in her car when she watches on the monitor, oh, you dog. And I was like, Hannah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I think Hannah speaks for the audience a lot. Um, so he puts it on her and she says she's never taking it off. And he asks her just to wear it when she's with him for him. So this is the this is the thing with the necklace. And I love to sort of tear apart some of these choices that they make in the movie. Mm-hmm. And in, in these movies in general, because 
you know, that's a special necklace. They had to cast that necklace, so to speak. The I'm sure whoever, you know, put this together went out and with intention picked this piece of jewelry. And I'll tell you that when later on we're going to see another character wearing it, and on them, it looks so expensive. But on mm. Beth, it, it actually kind of looks a little bit more her pace. You know what I mean? It looks fancy for what Beth could probably afford, but it doesn't look extravagant um, the way it does later. Yeah, it's uh, it's like the mood ring of necklaces. It's like it's in the eye of the beholder. Also an interesting, I mean, why is it always a necklace? It made me think of love, actually, you know, that being a central plot point with Emma Thompson finding the necklace meant for the um, meant for the mistress. It's like, what is it? What is it about this kind of like this something around the neck? I don't know. Maybe it's because it's sexy in some way. Um, but also the thing that he says about maybe you just wear it for me is like another kind of like, oh, Carl, skeezy. Like, I think he has a sense of, again, ownership over the women that are and control over the women that are in his life in some way. Um, and this feels like him kind of exerting some form of control over Beth. You know what? It is so true that you mention the necklace thing because the necklace of it all, right? And all of these movies and the importance placed on necklaces given to women by men, I think it's informed men out there that we want them to give us necklaces. And I, you know, I like a necklace, but it's not something that I want to feel like I'm obligated to wear every day. Mm. And sometimes when a, a boyfriend first gives you one, you feel like, oh, I got to rep this. I got to be wearing it. He got me this necklace. There's this like sort of implied responsibility to wear it or something. Yeah. When in reality, I would just like a guy to buy me a pair of earrings. If a man is going to buy me jewelry, I would love some earrings. I think yeah. those are sexy too. That's such a good point. I the thing about the necklace is, is that it's kind of a weirdly, um, it's like a weirdly bland choice because a ring is like loaded with meaning. Um, earrings, I don't know what it is. I don't know if, if men even consider the earring or cheating men in particular in Lifetime movies will consider the earring, but or, no, never a tennis bracelet. Always, always something around the neck. It's, it's sort of sexy, de delicate. What's it called? I want to say delicatage, but that's not the right word. The tits, basically. Delicatage. Yes. <laughs> my mother's a fucking obsessed with mine, which is the only reason why I, it, my mom is the only person who's ever complimented me on that part of my body. <laughs> um, but she's relentless about it. So that's why I know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> <laughs> but also, but, like, the putting it on yeah. is so sexy and the sort of kissing of the neck and the touching of the neck. It's very intimate. Uh, yeah, I, I think, guys, if you're listening, this is my suggestion to you that maybe this Christmas try earrings, oh. um, if you've heard this in time. Um, so she tells him that she has something for him, too. And she's decided to give him a key to her place. He travels so much for work, he should just stay with her when he's in town. So, oh, okay, that's that's what she's under the impression. She thinks that he kind of just is out of town most of the time. So the two of them run off to the bedroom together and Hannah watches them get down and dirty, which I was kind of wondering how far Hannah watched. If she watched the act to completion, like what her 
<laughs> if at any point she hit the road. I was a little bit like, Hannah, what's going on here? So um, at the park, you know, Michaela says that she wishes her dad was there. And Jackie does a very smart thing that I wouldn't have even thought of. And she asks her if her dad has ever taken her to a place that she didn't like or felt uncomfortable. She's like, like the dentist? And Jackie clarifies, maybe a place where her dad told her to keep a secret. Michaela's like, we would never keep a secret from you. And, you know, granted, I've never had to manipulate a child um, outside of maybe babysitting for them in high school or something. But this I thought this was such a brilliant way to get information out of a kid in a harmless way to them. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so smart. It kind of, it starts to build the foundations for how much of an absolute G Jackie actually is because right. aside from going to pieces <laughs> at the beginning, she like sets her laser guided sights on what she's doing and she takes to it like a duck to water. Like she already knows, she already knows what she needs to do. I love that she, that she asks Michaela in a very this child is, is, is always sort of a little too curious asking questions or slightly in the wrong place and is asking her in a, in a way that doesn't really, you know, um, rock the boat in any way. Um, but she's kind of, you know, she's trying to get some information from her prior, from her very gently. I thought it was masterful of Jackie. Really, honestly, I hope parents know that, by the way. And I was thinking last night about, you know, Parents teach their kids now much more actively, I think, than when we were growing up, that adults never ask you to keep secrets. Mm. And I was thinking about how the idea of a surprise would work with a kid now and how you probably classify things very transparently as this is a surprise versus this is a secret. Because just like, you know, as a kid, any secret anyone told me, it was meant to be told. Like, I, yes. I was like, unless it was a surprise for a gift, which I was usually so excited to give someone, I couldn't even wait. But like telling a child a secret is like, is useless. So I actually, this had caused me to have some introspection last night, really, honestly. So Jackie makes her way over to a bench to watch Michaela play when all of a sudden this other mom drops down her diaper bag and says, cute kid, it's Hannah. She is now <laughs> role playing as a mom in the park. <laughs> um, Jackie asks her if she's tracking her too. And she's like, no, I was on my way to your house and I saw you there. So um, she sort of she says to her, no big deal. It's a weird time. And this is another moment where I started to question Hannah because I was like, why is she going to Jackie's house? I thought that was off limits. And like (laughs) the fact that she's telling her it's a weird time while we're currently in a pandemic, it just it felt extra rich to me because I was like, girl, Hannah, you guys, as prepared as you are for the world, you don't even know what a weird time is and how bastardized that phrase will become (laughs) in a very short (laughs) amount of time. So Hannah asks her how much she wants to know in detail. And Jackie says, well, at the park, nothing. And Hannah tells her that she left a little surprise in her husband's suit pocket and she'll probably find it once he's home. And she says, well, should I know what it is? And she goes, just a pebble in the still waters of a relationship. Sort of uh, furthering that Hannah has these kind of literary feeling phrases that she throws out everywhere with her. I'm like, she's so wise and mysterious. 
This is, there's a phrase that British people use. I don't know if it made it to that side of the pond, but what Hannah is doing is throwing a cat amongst the pigeons. Oh, oh, I love that expression. <laughs> I, I used it in a meeting the other day and everybody looked at me like I like just spoken Greek or something. And they're like, God, that's so morbid. And I was like, no, it just means, you know, it's disruptive in some way. But yeah, it, I, I kept thinking, my God, she's really, um, just these gentle, she's throwing the pebble in the still water. She's throwing the cat amongst the pigeons. She's stirring up some discontent. We love to see it. See, I'm going to tell you something. Even if you were to take that phrase incredibly literally, it is unlikely if you threw a cat into pigeons that a cat would hurt the pigeons. Because by the time it orients itself, the pigeons are gone. So yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really not that dark of a saying. Thank you. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Hannah's main reason for being there is to give her a list and a camera for all the things that she needs, paperwork from his office. And Jackie, again, is not clear on why she has to go and do this. And Hannah's like, listen, you'll have better access than me. Just download everything on your husband's work computer onto an SD. And the camera is because he switched wallets at the office and she needs pictures of everything inside of it. If she gets caught, say that she's doing a favor for her sick husband or that she's collecting evidence against him, whatever excuse she wants. Hannah says that if it was her doing the same thing, it wouldn't be that simple. So excellent point. You do have more access as a wife. I will say <laughs> that when Jackie is later on retrieving this data, that I was like, oh, my dumb ass would drop like the desktop files into that SD card. And I wouldn't even think <laughs> of like the company database. I wouldn't even know how to access something like that at this point because I haven't worked in an office in so long. <sighs> She's a G. The average person I know would not know how to accurately do that. So Jackie does want to know one thing. Is he in love with her? And Hannah says, well, does it matter? And which answer would make it better? And that's food for thought. Jackie asks uh, if she knows about her. And Hannah says, sort of. He told her that he's separated and filing for divorce. He calls Jackie Sandy. And Jackie goes, that's the name of our dead dog from 10 years ago. Eek. So gross. That's the best you could come up with. Bob. It sounds like the Sandy died young based off of the math I could do. Because if the dog died yeah. 10 years ago and they've been married for 10 years... It seems like they got a dog when they were dating, like a lot of, oh God, the people that intend to have children and practice with a dog make me sick. There's so many people like that. And then when the baby yeah. comes along, the dog goes, you know, to a relative's house or something. But yeah, I was like, damn, Sandy lived a very short life. However, if someone were to call me by my beloved pet's name, I would actually take that as a slight compliment. I actually probably wouldn't even be offended by that detail specifically. Yeah, I, yeah, same things. <laughs> so the mistress um, knows nothing about Michaela, though. So, you know, Michaela winds up being a pretty big game changer in the situation, which I guess is I guess is good. Um, but I always 
I mean, there's so many problems with Michaela, but I will say in general, don't be afraid of dating people who have children. Um, so Jackie says oh. that she doesn't want to know anymore. So H- Hannah leaves and Michaela comes running up to her and is like, who is that? And she's like, oh, it was just a stranger needed um, directions. Um, she allows Michaela to play for five more minutes, even though she apparently has a paper to write for homework. <laughs> she's like tiny. <laughs> right. To like give you an age estimate on this girl, because we saw the art that she makes, which is like, you know, I, I couldn't do much better. She's no, but she's no Haley Duff, you know? So she, she's maybe about like six. And I was like, what paper does a six year? I feel like, at that point, your mom is still writing your sentences out for you because you won't <laughs> hand in anything legible. Yeah, that was but, a really weird one. <laughs> so I, maybe it's like what we ate for dinner tonight. So we see Hannah leaving the parking lot and she sticks the GPS on Jackie's car before she slips away. So you're like, oh, shit. Maybe Hannah is just fucking around trying to get as much money as possible. So then we see Jackie at night. She's in all black and she sends a text to Val saying that she needs a cover. And if anyone asks, they're getting drinks. Carl is upstairs putting away his suit in the closet and a pair of panties come flying out. So he tucks them away right as Jackie comes in and she's like, I'm going to go get a drink with Val. And, you know, he's obviously (laughs) hiding a hot secret right now. So he's like, yeah, go out, have fun. Um, He decides to hide the panties in a sock. Um, which is so interesting because earlier you were talking about sort of the the ins and outs of a relationship. And one of the things you said was socks. And that I've as soon as you said it, I had a moment where I was like, you're so right. I feel like there are so many relationships that have a undercurrent of like negativity and that more of a percentage than you would expect comes from probably literally socks. <laughs> Just the drama around not being able to find the other one or they always leave their socks around. You're so right. Sock drama is absolutely a thing. It kills nine out of 10 marriages from what I hear. But also, I think there's a thing that happens in relationships. um, Kind of going back to that idea of like, you know, the affair being an escape from the sort of mundane or the everyday life. That like if you're around each other 24-7, then you naturally kind of rub each other up the wrong way. And I had a friend who um, his girlfriend really didn't like it when he opened a can of beans and left half of the beans on the side of the counter. So if she pissed him off, he would do it intentionally. And I was like, but you know, it's going to cause a fight. Why would you do it? And he's like, well, because it's like, it's, it's satisfying. It's some kind of weird win. I don't know, man. Relationships are very odd. Very, very odd. But um, onto the pants. Yeah. If I, if I read that on Reddit, I would think that's emotional abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would be like, no, leave him. That's emotionally abusive. He leaves beans out to instigate. Like, absolutely not. Um, but I think the weirdness in other people's relationships, it's mostly weird to the people on the outside. You know, yeah. maybe they're at some sort of agreement about his bean punishments. <laughs> maybe they have red hot bean sex afterwards. Who knows? Exactly. Maybe that's how he knows he's getting laid. So Beth and the other girls are her girlfriends are going out for the night. And there's like, you know, just some chatter that's going on between them. And they're all like, I, you know. I wonder if I have enough cash. Like, did you did you bring cash? I never have cash on me. And 
it's so subtle, but like props to the director um, or even if the writer had included a line about that in the script, because that is such a brilliant piece of just busy talk for actresses this age going out to a club. Like it's perfect. Yes. Like never in my 30s have I been like, oh, do I have cash? But I think think in my 20s, I was constantly like, do I have $20 in cash or like only my debit card? Like I it was really like a thing um, that you kind of grow out of. It was kind of brilliant. So but once Beth and her girls are off for the night, Hannah runs up to her apartment with a bag. And then we cut to Jackie um, there. She's doing her task at the same time. She gets into the office and she's looking through all of his drawers and she finds the wallet and she opens her wallet and he has a fake ID from Nevada. And the idea that he have picked of all states, Nevada, it seems perverse to Jackie. Like she has such an overreaction to seeing this ID. And I have to believe that the Nevada was a part of it. Yeah. She's like, I can take the cheating, but I cannot take Nevada. <laughs> like, what do you mean? So she uh, takes some photos of it. And then a security guard. This is so funny because we had this exact same similar dynamic in the adoption. My baby is no switch. The one we did about the baby switched at birth this season the security guard enters into the office and he's like trying to just check up on everything for the night as Jackie starts to upload things onto the SD card. And he finally gets to Carl's office and Jackie hides under the desk just in time. Granted, the computer is glowing, like <laughs> clearly has been touched very recently, but I feel like that's probably above his pay grade. So when she gets back up, she bangs her head and they give the banging of her head such a moment that I was sure that she had somehow caused like internal bleeding or something because it's kind of like, I don't know if it like hits you, but I was like, God, she's really like acting about how much that hurts to bang her head. <laughs> yeah. I thought it would maybe trigger the security card coming back or something. Like it felt significant enough that it might be a plot point. But then at home, Carl calls Beth, who's at a bar with her friends, um, 3430 to 3545. Hello? Beth. Hello? Beth, it's Carl. Carl, hang on. Let me get someplace where I can hear you. Hey, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I, I didn't recognize the number. It's the number at the hotel I'm staying. Oh, I'm so happy to hear from you. I, I thought you were traveling. Yeah, I had to call. Oh, to hear my voice? No, I found your little surprise. My, my surprise? Yeah, your surprise in the breast pocket of my suit. You could have got me in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. Never mind. No, it sounds like you're accusing me of something. I want to know what it is. Carl, are you still there? I'm here. I'm sorry if I came across as harsh. I, I was trying to be playful. All the travel must be catching up with me. All right. Take your vitamins. I don't want you sick the next time I see you. Yeah, I will do.
This episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. I've been subscribed to Book of the Month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming, and when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. All right. Now, I'm not going to brag. I kind of knew I loved Beth from the moment I saw her because I was like, oh, Carl is so dark and she is so light. Um, But I really knew that I fucked with Beth after this scene. Yeah, she's she establishes herself as someone who really doesn't take shit. Um, I love that she immediately calls him and is like, um, it sounds like you're accusing me of something. You know, she's not this sort of passive, meek little mistress. Like she is a, a complete person. I agree. And there's something still so just like lighthearted about her. And, you know, I always love it when like a news story pops up or someone is like, oversharing on social media and you find out that the ex-wife and the mistress are now friends in real life, sometimes even turned lover. I'm not going to lie and say that I haven't seen that on TikTok a few times. (laughs) And I wish that could happen more because I, you know, 
any sort of a lot of times any sort of blame that is put on the mistress and this is a very tired thought we know this but i mean that's someone that went through probably a very traumatizing experience to them as well you were both equally hurt by a common enemy and i almost you know with very few situations aside i really wish that there could be more I guess, like, emotional generosity as a society towards women who are in situations like this? Yeah, there's a horrible there's a horrible thing that happens when someone's painted as the other woman and they become completely reduced to the sum of their parts, which is just they are just a painted as a sort of sexual scorpion woman Jezebel. And you're right, there is a common enemy and it's not between the wife and the mistress, you know, the, the, the enemy is not the wife and the mistress, it's this scumbag who's in the middle of it all. Like everybody is hurt, there is collateral damage from from the middle out when there's an affair like this. And I would like to see definitely more women, um, wives and mistresses like going on some sort of like cool revenge missions and also, yeah, like maybe marrying or maybe divorcing him, taking all of his money and then going and spending it on something really fabulous together, like a trip. Yes. I love that idea. I, well, there's definitely a reality show in there. Oh my Like God. a mistress and a, an ex-wife go on a vacation together and like have to, you know, you have all these different, pairings of people and they all go to different exotic destinations and have to work through their experiences together and do like team bonding missions. Of course, you know, putting them all in a house together would be fabulous. But um, yeah, I think that there could be definitely a salacious show in there, but also potentially a very healing one. Um, There's something there. So Jackie comes out sprinting from the office and doesn't notice that Hannah's white van is parked out front because, of course, it is. We're going to play this scene as well, 3602 to 3709. You're a regular traveling circus. Have to be. How'd it go? Great. I got everything. That's great. That's great. And it went smoothly? No issues? No, nothing. What's this? The next step. He got this for her? Afraid so. You stole it? Hmm, technically half is yours. Oh God, it looks expensive. It is. Do you want to know how much? No. Yes. No. So we have this. What now? The fun really begins. Tomorrow night, when he gets home from work, this is what I want you to do. I had chills. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I mean, I had chills. I really want to know how much that damn necklace costs. And I am so resentful that they didn't give us a number. 
Yeah, it looks it looks nice. It looks real nice. It has a what is it? Some sort of like it's not an emerald. It's a it's a blue stone, right? With loads of diamonds. It's a peridot or something. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's like I think it's like a peridot or some sort, and it's like yeah, it's sort of like a light stone. It is pretty. I will say that it's not a universal necklace, and I really. Again, I really liked how different it looked on Beth versus Jackie. Like I it had more dimension than I thought. But I always wonder with Lifetime when they sort of hint at a price and have a perfect opportunity to don't not give it. I wonder if they do that because this is being broadcast into homes across America. This is like you know, something people casually watch. Lifetime is something that's on or not on. It's not like a huge event necessarily. And I wonder if they worry about kind of like assaulting the viewer potentially with either a price point so low that you can't help but sort of scoff at it and think about how inconsequential it probably is to people like this or a number so high that your average you know, American who lives in poverty now um, is like, this is, I can't with any of these people, this is absurd. Like if, if she had just said, Oh, it costs $12,000. Like would that have cheapened the experience of watching this? Are we supposed to think it's more than that? Less than that? Right. And also it's, it is the Rorschach test for the viewer. You can fill in the blanks of what you decide is an amount that's, um, that's offensive enough for a husband to buy his mistress um, from the joint bank really, account or whatever it, it really might be. It really is exactly think, that. And yeah, I, you, okay, you decide, so choose your own adventure. Your husband is a YouTuber. You told me you that you had a YouTube channel that was burned off the internet, which I respect the hell out of because I've certainly blown up parts of the internet that I've been on as well. Um, and, you know, I, sometimes when you read like the comment sections of these, uh, you know, it, there are certain places online where projection shows up so clearly versus other places online. And one of them is the YouTube comment section. And I remember seeing it on, I watch a lot of these like Christian families. Like I love religious families on YouTube. There's something about it that just really does something for me. Cause it's like watching a freak show, I guess. It's really a freak show and it's a lesson in self marketing and all of that. But I was watching this video where these people, you know, went out for three meals in a day and they went shopping and they did all of this stuff. And someone who, if I had to guess, seemed to be probably like a woman in her 40s or 50s made a comment like, God, these people spend money like they're going to stop, like they're, you know, never going to stop printing it. Like they probably spend $100 a day. And I was like, girlfriend, you think that all of that was a hundred dollars? Like, <laughs> like it really kind of threw me for a loop because I'm clocking a day like that, knowing that they're in California. And I'm like, oh, that's easily a $600 day. And this woman thinks that their spending is like astronomical and her figure is a hundred dollars. And it's also why I think people, when someone retires from YouTube, People always assume that they are immediately broke, that they are bankrupt, that they are destitute, 
And I'm like, no, most people, especially people who are making a lot of money at one time, they invest, they do all sorts of things to kind of keep money coming in passively. And that's probably what they're living off of. And it's just, it's so interesting to see what people project onto other people, especially with money. Yeah. And value is a really interesting thing. Like how we ascribe value to certain things and belongings and oh and, and and what we think that something is worth i always have this very sort of um i have a very all or nothing approach which i think is possibly a millennial trait which is either i want something incredibly cheap or incredibly expensive but like never really in the gray area in the middle whereas like my mother's generation they go for like the they enjoy the sort of mid ground a little more the sort of like affordable luxury whereas i'm like you know, either I'm going to buy it from Primark for two quid or I'm going to like bankrupt myself <laughs> in order to get this high ticket luxury item that's somewhere on the other end of the scale because the midsection of value doesn't really, I, I don't really understand it. I'm just I'm, I'm at a place of extremes. That's partially, I think, to do with the, with with social social media influence and Instagram in particular. I'm just looking at people who are doing incredibly cheap hacks or, or flying on private jets. But um yeah, it's interesting. Our, our response to to value is really interesting to me. Yeah. And even just today, Kim Kardashian, it's her 40th birthday. And she was, you know, all over Twitter right before we started recording this because she tweeted that for her 40th birthday, um, her and her closest friends took COVID tests and they got on a private jet. And they flew to an island to spend some time together so she could have a feeling of normalcy in this crazy world. And people on Twitter are, you know, some are just, you know, sort of making fun of her, of course. She's so fun to make fun of. But there are other people that are like genuinely shocked that Kim Kardashian uh, doesn't have an awareness of her privilege or isn't slightly ashamed of her privilege in a moment like that. And I'm like, guys, since when is that what we come to Kim for? Like, we don't... To hold Kim Kardashian all of a sudden, just because it's the week before the election and, you know, we're all freaking out about our lives. Like, what made you think that Kim Kardashian moved with the rest of us before this? Like, she never <laughs> was that person. Yeah, her idea of normalcy is is very different to other people's. Her idea of having a semblance of normalcy, it just looks different because her life is different and her, like, you know, her bank balance is different and the way she interfaces with the world is so, so different to the way that the majority of people do. And you're right, like, you can't expect um, Kimberly to be the, I don't know, solver of all wounds and sort of putting a bomb on, on everyone's sort of tired souls right now. Because, I mean, fuck it, she's 40. If you want to, if you've got the money to go and get your private COVID test, you go and do it, Kim. It's a little crazy. I mean, yeah, that's, I'm know. not going to lie. I. I definitely was like, guys, it's her 40th birthday. Like, <laughs> you know, like this is a big deal for Kim Kardashian to turn 40. Like, of course, like nothing was going to stop her. And by the way, if we could all do it, we would yeah. like for a, a landmark birthday like that, of course. Yeah. So here's a question for you just while we're still on this topic, because I'm I'm fascinated by what you said about liking things you know, just being set that you're only going to spend a small amount of money or a large amount of money. I feel like I fumble a lot when it comes to what to not invest in. 
like sometimes I'll find myself being like, you know what? I should get the $12 dish sponge because it, this is going to take me a lot further. When I scrub my pots and pans, this thing is going to be around for 10 years, man. <laughs> like who keeps that, right? And then that thing falls apart on me so quickly. And I'm sort of like, God, I should have just gone to the dollar store. I always pick the wrong things to buy on the cheap. And then everything else I sort of look at as, you know, being my grandparents like raised me in a lot of ways. And so I have like depression era values when it comes to like things that you buy. So if you're going to buy a blanket, buy a nice blanket because it's going to last for 30 years. Or if you're going to buy a coat, get a coat that you'll be able to wear for a very long time. And so I want to know from you, but also people listening, what are the things that people buy for cheap that most people don't think of? You know, I had a problem with cheap headphones for a while. And I figured that because I was always losing headphones or breaking headphones, that it didn't really matter to only spend a few quid on, you know, on the headphones that I would just, I would buy like, there were these little like in earbud, like head candy headphones that I think were like 10 pound each. And I would buy like three packs of them at a time. And then I would do this like, continuously throughout the year over and over again because they would break they would suddenly stop working I would leave them somewhere and I was like well that's just that's just the nature of the bees that's why I bought three of them but it was only when I bought like a really nice pair of headphones I got like two really nice pairs of headphones I got one as a gift and then I I paid for some myself um that I realized that I was treating my headphones like shit because (laughs) because I had decided that they were kind of shit whereas like now my my golden headphones, for want of a better word, are um are, are like a thing that I've had and I've never lost in the two years that I've had them. But so I, I think I'm kind of gradually coming to terms with the fact that like I could probably spend I could probably spend some money on something that would be good and last, as opposed to something that's kind of cheap and disposable. Um, and same with weirdly pots and pans. I just bought a, um, La Crusette, um, like Dutch oven that I just agonized over, over and over. And the only reason I bought it is because I wanted to make fried chicken and like the love and care and attention I give to this La Crusette pot is like beyond what I've given to most of my family members in the last 10 years. Yeah, that is a that's a universal is the La Crusette pots. <laughs> like that's just like the Dutch oven especially. That was a very good purchase that you made. You will use that thing for the rest of your life. Yeah. But that's definitely a level of life that you sort of come to where you're like, okay, I can't just blow through pots and pans like a college student at this <laughs> point. Like we've reached that point in our lives where we have to invest. But, you know, the AirPod thing for me was when I first got AirPods, I was like, oh, this is like this is like buying a lottery ticket. Like, I'll lose these things in an hour. Like, one will fall in the garbage disposal. Like, I'll drop one in the driveway. Like, I'll just never see them again. And I've I'm shocked that I've held on to my AirPods for like almost two years now. It's unbelievable to me because I really did not see that coming. But it is a little bit of like when you choose to care for certain things, 
they it actually lasts. Like sometimes you can trick your brain. Most of the time with most items you can't. <laughs> but I certain things, yeah, that that change happens in a person. There's something that happens so, with being jaded as well. I wonder if like you have um I know someone that um they were incredibly wealthy and their children grew up very, very wealthy. Not like not just rich, but like some real wealth. And um and apparently like the kids were in in their teens and they were so deeply jaded by literally everything. Like there was nothing that would create a level of satisfaction for them because they had never wanted it for anything. And I sometimes look at like maybe even the Kardashian kids. I don't know about Kim's. I think she she parents them pretty well actually. But if you grow up with everything at your fingertips and disposal, like where do you find the excitement and joy of caring for something if everything is replaceable? Right. No, it's like the reverse in a way of of growing up in a house where you're not allowed to eat sweet foods and coming out as a chubby child because everywhere you go, you try and get as much as possible. Yes. <laughs> that was the case with me. We like never ate sugar cereal or anything like that. So whenever I had, you know, two nickels to rub together, I'd be like running to the store to get some candy because I was like, I just need it. So it's almost like those kids that you grew up with that were just so naturally slender, but like always had Oreos and all this stuff at home. It was like, they just didn't want for it because they you know it was it's like almost the opposite with but with food um but okay so what we so where we left and i honestly i could spend another hour talking about finances and stuff with you because i find it to be so interesting but we have to move forward for the sake of the podcast <laughs> so when we left hannah she was saying you know this is what i want you to do with the necklace so we cut to Jackie's kitchen and the mood is set. It looks like a tacky ass Valentine's Day in there. It looks like the bachelor when they have their one-on-one dinner before the fantasy suite. It's like a little it's their little kitchen table with a red runner on it, bottle of red wine and 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 electric votive candles. <laughs> the electric votive is something I'm so fascinated by because I I understand why people have them. It gives the effect of a candle without the worry of a fire hazard or the need to replace them. But every time I see one, I'm just like, I wouldn't I would never buy that for myself. And I wonder if I should be that person. Maybe I'm missing out. I don't think you are. You know the thing that actually I have a visceral reaction to you and it's the um those light, those those candles that have a remote control where you can can change you can change the um the color of the candle so that it like suddenly throws out blue light and I'm like at that point it's not a candle though like it makes me feel irrationally angry when I see them I can't explain it it's like it's it sets my teeth on edge yeah it feels like teenage mood lighting <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring back the lava lamp. Yeah, Jackie uh, comes down in a black dress and surprises Carl when he comes in. Apparently, this is thanks for the soup. Um, <sighs> and no, actually, it's for the necklace. Okay, so she shows him this little necklace she's wearing. She's like, I found your little gift. I love it. And he, you know, looks dead inside. He can't understand what's happening. And... You know, I guess if you lie to yourself enough or delude yourself or choose to believe the narrative enough, 
I guess maybe there is a world in which it's somehow gotten gotten tangled up in his shirt after he was having sex with Beth and it somehow came home. Um, but for some reason, he decides to just, you know, play this off. Um, she says that she sent Michaela to Melanie's house for the night. And he's like, you know, uh, I, you know, I appreciate the thank you. I just didn't expect you to go all out like this. And she said that when she found the necklace, it made her smile to think that he still cares about her after all these years. And this was a great, great note and direction. Because when she says it made me smile, the camera's on Carl's face. And you're watching this filthy liar take in these words. And he's panicked because he knows that this is not a necklace for her. And it's like when she says the word smile, it reminds him that he should be smiling. And so all of a sudden he starts smiling and it's such like a subtle thing. I don't think they really beat you over the head with it if you're like a casual watcher, but to an eagle-eyed obsessive individual like myself, I picked up on that right away and I just thought it was brilliant, honestly. This is such a good scene. Like it is the tango. They're literally kind of dancing with each other. It's amazing how, how you get a sense of how much of a filthy little liar he is that he, you see him, you know, react, but then he recovers himself quite quickly, which is actually a little disconcerting because there is this, there's this beautiful unspoken thing between them that they're dancing around and he's kind of dealing with it quite deftly, but it, it goes to show how comfortable he is in the position of being a liar, even when rocked. Absolutely. And, and Jackie gets a, a nice little twist of the knife in because she says, I'm so glad that I have this because I really don't have a lot to pass on to my daughter. Thank you for giving this to me. and. Ooh, so much in there. She's bringing up the daughter. She's bringing up the thought of her death. She's bringing up, you know, the idea of what he's given to her over the years. And it's just such a, like a sort of like clever blow exactly to what your, your point about the tango of it all. So we cut to Beth's apartment and she is tearing apart her place looking for the necklace. And she's like at this, you, I can feel her exhaustion and panic a little bit then all of a sudden carl shows up and she seems really surprised to see him um let's play this scene 3906 to 4058 hey wow i wasn't expecting you yeah my my plans changed i thought you were only going to be in town two days this week um have you had breakfast no i can make you something no Where's your necklace? I, um, look, I, the class broke and I had to take it to get fixed. I'm sorry, I didn't want to tell you. Did you get a receipt? I don't think so. What's the big deal? What if they lose it? <laughs> you won't. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe you didn't take it to get fixed. What? I think maybe you're lying to me. First about the panties, now about this. The panties, what? Why are you doing this? Why are you messing with my life? Your life? What are you talking about? Look, I lost it, okay? I lost the necklace or it was stolen. 
the nicest gift that anyone's ever given to me, okay? I don't know what's happening. I've torn this place apart looking for it. All I know is that I just, I can't have you mad at me. Because I love you. <laughs> there, I've said it, I love you. So I wouldn't mess with your life. Well, love makes people do crazy things. Okay, well I didn't do anything crazy. Please just tell me that you believe me. I do. I do believe you. I gotta go to work. Well, when am I gonna see you again? I'll let you know. Carl! Carl, you do not need him. She's too I good mean, for it is... <laughs> it's kind of unbelievable that, like, we're kind of sitting here giving him this much credit because you know he has pulled off something that probably wouldn't occur to you or i or, or a situation we'd find ourselves in right where we're out pursuing extramarital affairs but i will say that like he's so not slick with it and if she didn't if she was you know five years older that would be like a hold up like what is going on here type moment but the fact that the necklace is missing right away gives her this sense of guilt that allows him to sort of skate through this. And this is the beauty of Hannah's plans. Yeah, she's sowing those those dirty little seeds of doubt. And oh boy, there's something interesting about the, you know, if you compare how he behaves around this necklace thing to the previous scene when he's with Jackie, you know, he's he's still very much wearing the mask. With Jackie, he's still kind of holding it together, but he shows this side to Beth that feels a little bit closer to who I think Carl really is, which is he's a little bit of a stroppy little boy. Yeah, he lacks polish. Like he's used to keeping up appearances, which is, again, another terrifying notion, I think, for anyone who holds someone close to them is like, Oh God, like, I don't even really know who I'm married to. You know, I, I mean, it's true. People put on a little bit of a different persona for almost everyone they interact with. And the reality of who Carl is, is who was just in that apartment, the sort of very selfish, you know, questioning, manipulating, accusing while being guilty. That's at at his core, really, like what his personality is. And um, they do just such a good job of appealing to, I guess, every facet of what could be a nightmare about this sort of situation. And this is a really why I love this movie. And I, I actually am going to go ahead and say it. And I say this way too often. This is one of my favorite movies we've done in a long time. Like this is like in a, in its own sort of category of a movie, I think is so great because it's not just like a part of, you know, one of these things like where oftentimes it'll be like, Oh, this is a, a, a possible theme that teenagers will go through, but there's very rarely a movie that encompasses a lot of different, perspectives and i feel like this movie is very thorough about all the levels that can happen when you're unwinding your husband's lies 
Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting that we see and uh, that, that Beth is, as I said, a complete person. And you get to see, zoom out at various points of this movie and see the damage, the collateral damage from lots of different perspectives. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that they didn't sort of dial up a, a lazy stereotype of what the other woman is or, or what a cheating spouse looks like or, or what a sort of, um, what the sort of paranoid wife looks like. You know, there's nuance in it. And this is just a really beautiful example of those things playing out in, in, in a short space of time. So this is something that's going to be interesting. And I want to parse this out with you really quickly. Um, when Carl leaves Beth's apartment, he finds a ticket on his car and he assumes it's a parking ticket, but it's not. It's a parking slip type thing written up and it says offense date 10 for 2017 time 1234 a.m. Amount due. Oh, what a web you have woven that you have to live this life. How much will it cost for you to keep this secret from your daughter and your wife? And at the bottom in the fine print, it says payment is required no later than 21 calendar days from the date of the violation. Payment must be made in the U.S. Do not send cash. So this is, okay, there's so many things about this. First of all, 12.34 a.m., it is maybe 12.34 p.m., and this is where I'm kind of like, Hannah, you're off your game, girlfriend. Like, what's going on? (laughs) I wonder if she printed it out the back of the transit <laughs> in a hurry. Right. But then there's a little bit of a mystery about when this movie came out because um, I believe on the Lifetime app it says 2019 and on the IMDb it says 2018. And typically they date something forward if they know the movie's going to come out later. So I think it's sort of interesting that they're like, Oh, this happened last year. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think they were expecting your eagle eye, though, Molly, with the, you know, ready with the pause button. No, I don't think the props department saw me coming, <laughs> but they should know, you guys. <laughs> guys, look alive. I'm here. All right. So, um, This is another moment where I was like, oh, shit, Hannah is doing the master brilliant move, which we also saw recently in How to Murder a Millionaire, um, where, you know, the con man is is going to each of the person that has a hit out and going, "Okay, I I won't kill you for two hundred thousand dollars. Okay, I will kill her for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So sort of like playing the odds. And I was like, oh, God, don't tell me Hannah's doing that bit because you know, that would be genius because we've already sort of assessed that $4,000 is a lot of money, but potentially not that much. And she probably could get 20 grand to get the guy to shut up. Now, the other thing is that Hannah did say that sometimes in these situations, the husband comes running back to the wife and Jackie made it clear she wasn't interested in that. So, I'm wondering if this was a intentional sidestep to get Carl to sort of come home and maybe start groveling and admit to his sins or if she was trying to get more money or potentially giving him an out to go 
get back together with Jackie. Yeah, well, we know that Hannah's an old romantic. So there's a there's a part of her that's probably playing at that string a little bit. But there's also a bit of me that wonders if, you know, she's she's messing with him on every conceivable level. And I kind of wonder if she if if what she's doing, I mean, in in just like the most base sense of the word is just really trying to get inside his head and and disrupt things even further because adding this financial element just gives him another thing to worry about. Um, yeah, who knows? It really is a big dick move. Like it's, it's very powerful what she's done here with this one. So Carl is at work and he like, can't even pay attention. He's got these rolling calls coming through and the assistant's sort of like, this guy's called back three times. He's like, I don't care. And so he's very, you know, he's not even able to maintain his cool at this point. So he decides to go into his extra wallet and he cuts up his fake ID. It looks like it was hard to do. It looks like the credit card was even harder for him. Um, And then we see Beth is comically sobbing in her apartment and writing in her journal. When she gets a call on her cell for her mobile nail service, it's a house call in Valencia. And it's kind of cute and very... It's just very young of the way that Beth is like, you know, having a really emotional moment over a stupid motherfucking guy. And she, you know, has to suck it up and get on the phone because she's paying those Hollywood rent prices. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, Beth's nail salon or whatever she calls it. Like, it's it's actually kind of like a great moment. And I really again, my respects to the director and the writer of this. So. She tells her, um, so she she goes to, Beth goes to her house call, and surprise, the call is at Jackie's. I actually thought it was going to be Val, if I'm going to be honest with you. And she tells her to set up in the kitchen. She offers her her some coffee, water, tea, um, and Beth is like, oh, no, I'm okay. God, this house is so beautiful. And she's like, oh, yeah, we moved in right after we got married back in 2006. Um. And, you know, she's like, my marriage isn't perfect, but it's, you know, it's okay. And she's like, well, what marriage is? And Jackie's like, I'm sorry, what did you say? And Beth is like, well, what marriage is perfect? I mean, you're one of the lucky ones who found one. So I'm going to play this clip, 4329 to 4435. You found someone to spend your life with. You're one of the lucky ones, right? You must have someone in your life, a beautiful woman like you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I do, but... What? Uh, uh, we just got into this thing this morning, you know. Well, if he's not the one, then I'm sure eventually you'll find Mr. Wright. The one thing that's really helped us work at our marriage is our daughter, Michaela. Oh, how old? Eight. Oh. That's her right there. Michaela with my husband, Carl. I'm sorry. It's fine. You okay? You don't look so good. I have to go. We just started. I know. I'm really not going to be able to recommend your services. Yeah, I completely understand. 
I mean, that scene was kind of kind of hard to watch because so many reasons, but I think the main one is just the relatability of Beth. Like when you are that age and so many things about the world haven't occurred to you. And if they have, you don't think they apply to you. And you find yourself in a situation where someone who is older and wiser and has a lot more stake in caring about you has sort of tricked you into a situation or confession that otherwise you would have, you know, you just would have never known you were giving it up. And maybe that <laughs> sounds oddly specific, but I feel like when I was Beth's age, from time to time, either in work situations or, or in social situations, because I've always had, you know, so many friends from like different generations. I, there have been times where I've, you know, looked back and been like, oh my God, that was totally orchestrated above my dumb little head. And I had no idea. And just sort of the embarrassment of that for Beth. Yeah, she's so sweet. She's like a sweet little, sweet little baby Beth. And she is kind of blundering her way through her twenties, and it's 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 really you know it's challenging to watch her kind of be faced with the consequences of her actions, but but not really have the not really have the capacity or space to deal with it in that moment and struggle with it. And my heart kind of broke a little bit for the both of them. I think beautifully acted by by both of them in that scene um, because I felt for both women for very different reasons in equal measures. Totally. And, you know, I think with Beth, the thing is, is that while she, you know, probably knows it's not ideal that she's dating a guy who has a, a wife he's planning to divorce, it's kind of stereotypically a bad look. She didn't realize it was all of that. She didn't realize his wife was in town and they had a child. Like, this is so much for her to take in. And, you know, I don't blame Jackie for, you know, not sparing her any pain there, you know, letting her have that full realization. But it was tough watching her pack up that humble little nail file kit that she had with just, you know, the most basic of tools and you know it's just it it's even the status of her kit just made me feel a little oh god poor beth and you know to your point that these actresses were both fantastic in this scene chloe brooks is the actress who plays beth in this movie she's two years older than me good for her she looks great um she has a pretty decent career her first episode was the episode closet from law and order svu for all of you svu heads out there thank That's god me. we have some of that coming to us <laughs> you guys get that there right yeah yeah although i i only really became fully aware of it on a trip to new york where it was a little too hot sometimes at night so me and my husband would stay in this tiny hotel room watching law and order so rather than experiencing his his place where he spent so many years together and him taking me to his favorite places we spent the time with detective spence and stapler so i have a fun memory about that in particular you know i had to tell you that it's so underrated to travel somewhere potentially even across the world and just spend a day in bed 
watching TV. I felt so guilty when I was in Japan for spending an hour of the day doing anything. But I remember at one point I gave myself permission to watch a movie. And it was one of my most memorable moments there in a weird way because it was so it was like being kind to myself in a way that I didn't expect where I was like, you know, oh, I thought I'd be beating myself up for this, but secretly a kind of love that I'm spending this time on vacation doing doing this exact thing. Um, so I think that that's a little bit underrated. Yeah, it's the best. Jackie uh, catches up with her girlfriends and they have this like sort of moment in Valerie's, but I assume it's Valerie's backyard. It's a really like beautiful piece of real estate she has. And at this point, you know, I'm not sure what either of their deal is in terms of their life. I'm not clear if Valerie's married or if Melanie's married. I don't know if they have families. We don't have any idea what Melanie does for a living. So I'm not surprised that they have this gorgeous piece of real estate for Valerie, but I'm still, you know, it's, it's interesting how far you get into this movie before you realize like what the status of her friends' lives are. So, you know, Melanie says that she has a pretty good poker face, but what Jackie is describing the situation with Beth, etc., it's on a different level. And Melanie, I agree. And Jackie says that, you know, it's so exhilarating. And in the moment, it felt good. But when she saw the pain in Beth's eyes, it was bad. And Valerie says that she knew what she got herself into. And Melanie says that, you know, on the other hand, (laughs) Carl also lied. The mistress is also a victim in all of this. And this is one of the, the only moments in the movie that I really liked Melanie. Yeah, she's pretty beige as a as a character compared to the force, the tour de force that is Valerie. But she is kind of the voice of reason throughout this on the whole. I mean, even from the very start where she's like, oh, yeah, take his money. <laughs> like, get everything. She's the voice of reason. In groups of friends, like in, in high school, when you sort of ran with a click or whatever, I always chose the Melanie or was drawn to the Melanie of the group to be my best friend. And people would be like, Oh, like, you know, why aren't you closer with this person? And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't relate to them. And looking back, it's always like those Melanie's that held me down and that I still keep in touch with. It's never the Valerie's of the world, these strong personalities. And I hate to say, I think I'm a bit of a Valerie. <laughs> like, I think that I'm very much in life. I very much am like quick to help my friends and make it known what I think is going to possibly be in their best interest. And I have a sympathetic ear and sometimes I can deliver some like other perspective. But I think in general, in the world, I might show up as a little bit of a Valerie. And I, I think I'm a Melanie at heart and I, I'm at conflict with my, I'm in conflict with myself, you know? There has to be a Melanie for every Valerie. Who do you think you are? Oh, honestly, probably more of a Valerie. But I think with a, with a, with a real Melanie core, with voice of reason core, but um, I, and I, I'm sad to admit that I'm, I may be a little bit of a Valerie. Quick to react. Um, and sometimes a little self-absorbed. Well, it's kind of like a tough task because it's a little bit of like diagnosing yourself as which Sex in the City character you are. <laughs> and in doing so, 
taking on everything horrible about that character. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's so it's so interesting because I worked with Michael Patrick King, who was like the lead guy, the writer on Sex and the City. And he told everyone in our writer's room who he thought they were, but as like their sun signs. So he'd be like, oh, so-and-so is like a Charlotte with a Miranda rising or whatever, right? <laughs> well, he told me, he said, he he did me, he skipped over me. And someone said, you didn't say what Molly is. And he goes, you're a rare double carry. And one of my coworkers started to tear up because she was so jealous that I had been <laughs> dubbed a rare double carry. And I was like, at the time, I didn't really know how to take it. And I said, why? Because she's selfish. And he was like aghast. And I was like, what do you I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, Carrie's selfish. Like, that's like part of her personality. And he was like, no, Carrie is not selfish. She is a perfect person. And so, of course, I go home and I tell my best friend who's known me for so long and he knows the best and worst parts of me. And he's a Charlotte. Okay. And so I'm telling him, yeah. And Michael said I was a rare double carry. And he goes, no, you're not. He's like, you're a Miranda. He's like, you're a double Miranda, <laughs> maybe a Miranda carry. He's like, but you are so Miranda. And it's tough with that, char- like with all of these characters, you have to take the, the good with the bad. Right. But Miranda is a rough one to, to be because you're like, she doesn't get the cool clothes. She's dating a bartender. Like her biggest hurdle in life is herself. Like <laughs> Miranda's tough. So when you're diagnosing yourself as one of the characters in a situation like this, you're like, oh God, thankfully none of these people are real and and I don't have to be any of them. Do you know what Sex and the City character you are? I mean, I've given it some thought many, many times. I actually just finished rewatching it during quarantine. Uh, which was a interesting and slightly rough ride, <laughs> I have to say. Because then I also went on and watched uh, both of the movies in quick succession. And I was like, Jesus, I think that's enough for today. Like, I, I really need to do something else. Um, but I think I think I might be a carry with Miranda Rising. I can I without knowing you at all, based off of the limited time we've spent talking and you know, sort of what you describe you do for a living. I think that might be true. I think that might be very true, especially the sexual element of it, of course. Yeah. But I will say you're right. It's, it's, it's a ride to rewatch sex in the city in particular, because it was such a show that was like, so aggressively tackled issues of the moment for women. And so of course it doesn't hold up in this society anymore. But at the time it was like the most groundbreaking thing. I think that had happened for women of a certain age watching television and like seeing themselves for real. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. In a way that girls isn't, even though the two were compared often. Mm, It's yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And actually this ties back to why I was, Oh my God, just so like, desperately keen to do this podcast is because I think I I have this sort of weird evangelical like my, my religion is, te- is television and media and 
I have a particular fondness for anything that is directed towards women because there is a sense that entertainment that is made for women, and I say that in the context of Lifetime in particular, is somehow less legit or somehow um, lowbrow in some capacity that is somehow um, not worthy or, or deemed of, of critique and attention in, in a loving way. And I find anything that is supposed to be for women is usually branded as tacky or, or whatever it might be. And so I... I'm kind of in love with and obsessed with the fact that you give these um, maligned movies such love and care <laughs> and attention, like truly, because I think all culture is valid. It, it says something. And if you make things, if you make films, if you write things, if you know, whatever it might be, if you make anything, you know that it's actually kind of a bit of a, it's a process and it's a struggle. And you know that like, no matter how, no matter what the output is, there were people who gave a shit enough to do the thing. And I just, I, I love that. I love that you do this for them. Thank you. I mean, I definitely, you know, it's, it can be more of a roast some episodes than other. I think I've found like a, a balance now that I've been doing this for four years, which is shocking. Um, and you know, I I love these movies and I and unfortunately I've now like mentioned this sort of aspect of my relationship with Lifetime itself at this point. Um so you can skip forward 30 seconds if you have heard this too much from me. But like it's nice that the people who have been involved with these movies who have reached out have all been so welcoming and generous and not defensive at all and totally see that like more th I mean I wouldn't spend my time doing this if I didn't really like kind of love these movies and very much identify with them as an important thing but you know you know I went to Boston College which is like a Jesuit university and I was a film major which is not like what I would recommend going to Boston College for even though their film department is fantastic and one of my Jesuits who taught in the film department, he was known as the porn priest. And he went on a national press tour where he was doing talk shows and all sorts of stuff as a priest who was basically vouching and citing pornography as a very valid form of filmmaking. And when I first moved out to LA, one of the you know, sort of dirty jobs I took was as a videographer. And that could wind up with me being on a porn set. And that was a whole thing or being, you know, in, you know, an adult entertainment party where I was taking video or whatever. And they're the nicest people. And like, it's 100%. Like all the directors are real, all the grips, all the cinematography. Those are all like, you know, just different ways that the art form of that is playing out in the world. And you're right. You know, the money that is put into programming for women versus men, it's, I mean, talk about a fucking wage gap, dude. Yeah. <laughs> These shows that they put on for men that are like gritty dramas and, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's millions and millions of dollars to pull that off. Well, I feel like these movies maybe have a, you know, maybe a million dollar, million and a half dollar budget. And it's, 
you know, for two hours, it's shot in two weeks, they do the best they can. You know, sometimes you get a really dynamic writer, like this guy, Brian, who wrote this, but then you bring in this, you know, this female director who I don't think we've watched any of her movies before. And I, you know, I think that this is like, for what it is, for what they were able to do with the budget they had and the time they had, I think this is pretty great. Yeah, I I would agree. And, you know, just because, you know, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned the roast. Like, I think you can roast something with love and know that something is is self-aware. There are lots and lots of fun little self-aware threads that seem to sort of weave themselves through these kinds of movies. But I think a story about women that is that shows women as fully formed human beings is not, you know, it's becoming less rare. But there was a place for it, and that place was Lifetime, when it wasn't sort of necessarily always the most mainstream thing. Like, where else will you be able to to spend 90 minutes with a set of characters that are women that might be um, that might be living a double life as a mistress hunter, for example? <laughs> you know, right? No, you're right, and and that is why. I mean, that's a big reason why I love lifetime so much is that it's been a huge part of my life and watching my whole life, you know, and watching, especially growing up, the the grown women around me get so excited when a certain lifetime movie was on, just like the thrill that they would get. And it's a little bit like, you know, it's like occasionally it's you get a it's like a Saturday Christmas that just pops up out of nowhere when you find the time to flick on the TV and it looks like a good movie's coming up on Lifetime and you decide to watch it when you're cooking or whatever else, putting around the house. And all of a sudden you're wrapped up in this movie that kind of blows you away with how interesting it is. And it's like a little surprise that you can get at any time. And and they've been doing this for, you know, 30 plus years. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Lifetime. So much respect, truly. Um, but Getting back into this, Jackie shows the girls the necklace that Carl got for Beth. And Valerie has to take a closer look. And they ask her how she has it. And Jackie says that um, technically she took it, but she also technically owns half. So Melanie says that she wants to opt opt out of more details. And I actually have to say... (laughs) God, you know, you need people like Melanie in your life, but you hate people like Melanie in your life, too, because she's doing the responsible thing and saying, I'm not going to engage. But when you want your friends to engage and they're not biting, God, that is the most frustrating thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Like baiting your sensible friend into trying to shit talk with you and they're just not having it like oh my god so melanie says that she's gonna you know peace out she's seeing a side of jackie that she never wanted to see she's going out of town to see her sister but when she gets back she'll let them know and valerie says like oh some people are so squeamish so jackie asked her if she's doing the wrong thing and valerie said that if it had been her she wouldn't even be asking that question so Carl downs a cup of water in the kitchen at their house and catches a glimpse of the gallery wall on his way to bed that night. He gets up to the bedroom and Jack- Jackie thanks him for putting Michaela down when he got upstairs. And he's like, oh, it's OK. I actually 
plan on doing stuff like that a lot more. So this is where we start to see the turn in him. 47 minutes to 48.08. Is everything all right? Uh, no. Not at all. Listen. I've got something to tell you, and you might... You're not going to take it well. What is it? I've been unfaithful to you. I broke my word to you and to Michaela. I wish I had a better explanation for why I've done what I've done, but I don't. All I can say is that I'm sorry. Just please leave. No, listen, listen. I want you to know that it's over. It's all over. There is nothing more important to me than you and Michaela, and I will do whatever I have to to keep us a family. Please. I love you. I said leave. Can't Just you- get out. She handled that very like uh, with with less emotion than I thought, and more at the same time. Mm. The house of cards comes tumbling like down. She- yeah, like part of her almost thought it was cute when he was confessing his affair because she's like, "Oh God, I've no- trust me, Carl, I know." <laughs> But then she, you know, has a reasonable blow up. I mean, how can you sit there and listen to this bullshit? And he winds up, you know, leaving. And in the morning, Jackie's cooking breakfast and Michaela comes down and she's like, where's dad? I heard you guys yelling last night. And Jackie says that they just got into a fight and all moms and dads do, which is true. Um, and she admits that he didn't sleep there last night, but it's way too early to say if he's going to live there anymore or not, because no matter what they, but no matter what, they love her very much. And to this, I say, Jackie, just lie. (laughs) You don't need to send a kid to school with like the uncertainty and the anxiety of, oh, I don't know if my dad is ever going to come home again, but I know they love me like that's way too much for a kid before school yeah especially when she has a paper due probably so she's got enough oh right right she probably has her sat prep coming up as well but you know it's um i wonder maybe this was a choice Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I'm wondering if this was a choice to sort of get Michaela used to the idea that things might be changing around the house. Um, But Carl comes knocking on Beth's door, and when she doesn't answer, he uses his key to get in. He puts his key down by her nail kit and looks around her apartment for her journal like a fucking creep and starts to read it. And... Can I tell you the secondhand embarrassment I got thinking about an older man potentially reading my 24-year-old diary? I would rather die. I can't think of anything more horrific. And I can't think of anything more horrific. That's it. I. Ugh. Ugh. It's like 
dying naked in the shower with like a dildo in your ass and having someone find your body like that. It's like that much of an embarrassing violation. I think I would honestly prefer that as a as an out than right. somebody really fun. Right. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh God. So embarrassing. So um and then we see a gloved hand in the kitchen go for a knife. Very interesting. So Beth gets home drunk in an Uber. Perfect. And lets herself in. And she can barely walk at this point. And she sees her key, his key next to her kit when she gets in. And she starts calling for him. And she's like, Carl, I don't want you in here. You're a son of a bitch. You're married. You have a child. She sees him sleeping in her bed. And she starts screaming for him to get out. And she lifts back the sheets to see that he has been brutally murdered. And I have to say, I wasn't expecting a murder to hit before the hour mark. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rough one, too. I like that, um, that he was covered up so that Beth could discover him. There was something, um, there was something that was uh, pretty, pretty intense about that. Well, yeah, it's a punishment for sure. And then we cut to the exterior of her apartment building and we hear slash see from her window the pop of a gunshot. So two figures come rolling up to Jackie's door while she's working on her laptop. And at first I'm like, is that Hannah again? Like, is Hannah now posing as a cop? Like, what's happening? Because now at this point, I'm having trust issues with Hannah because of the... (laughs) the ticket on the window. So let's play this scene, 5127 to 5425. Who is it? Uh, Police department, ma'am. Do you have some ID? Sure. I'm Detective Williams. Mrs. Blancher? Yes. Your husband is Carl Blancher. Yes? What is it? What's wrong? There's no good way to say this. He's dead, Miss Blanchard. No. He was killed earlier this evening. I'm sorry. Wait, this this doesn't make any sense. We do have some questions for you. Can you just give me a minute? was he killed? Stabbed. Multiple times. Do you know by who? It was a woman. Do you know a Beth Robinson? No. Well, do you know of any reason why your husband would have been in her apartment? Well, if I don't know her, why would I know the reason he'd be there? Sorry. That was rude. It's... This is just a lot to take in. Mommy? What are you doing up? Who are those people? Um, they're just friends. Why don't you go back up to bed, and after they leave, I'll come see you, okay? Okay. Okay. 
she loves him so much, I... I'm just having a really hard time comprehending all of this. We think it was a lover's quarrel. That your husband had gone there to end the relationship with her. After she killed him, it appears she took her own life. Did you know that he was having an affair? He told me last night. The last thing he said to me was that there was nothing more important to him than me and our daughter. Nothing. And that he was going to end it. You need another minute? Well, before last night, did you have any inclination that your husband might be having an affair? I mean, he wasn't acting himself. His behavior was a little erratic, but no. I mean, I would have folded. I would not have been, I would have been like, I, I would have probably told them almost everything at that moment. She was cool as a cucumber. I mean, really and truly. I mean, especially in the first half of that where she's like, I had, it had me questioning, did she know, did she know Beth's name? Like she must have done because she called her to book the nail appointment. So like, that was so cool of her. Right. Yeah. And she kind of like explicitly told Hannah that she didn't want to get him, get him to use her words. So murder was not really on the table. And I mean, for me, I, I, I was I'm certain Hannah did the murder herself at this point. So I I don't know how she was able to sort of put together some lies. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have admitted to all of it, but I would at least have been like, yeah, I told him to go over and break up with her or something. I would have probably said all of the wrong things. Yeah, she's implicating herself from the get-go because she's already catching herself in a lie immediately when she's like, I don't know who she was. Why would I know who she was? And then, oh, but then I told him, then he said that he was going to go and finish it with her. You know, I, I suspected he was having an affair. And then we see that that, you know, is a very, it's it's kind of flimsy. As cool as she is presenting it, it's quite a flimsy um, explanation for the whole thing. Especially, I mean, you've got to give her credit. She is just finding out her husband died and uh, trying to put the pieces together whilst also laying out some some lie tracks in front of her. But um, yeah, I would I would have gone to pieces too. I, I can't lie into that sort of circumstance. 100%. And then, of course, she does actually lie to Michaela when she says that those are her friends in the living room, um, which I'm like, where was that protecting your daughter earlier when you could have just said that your dad and you are having some issues? I don't know. Um, so Jackie um, has to tell Michaela now that her father has passed and she tells her that he will always love her very much, but he won't be with them anymore. And I will say, if I have to throw Carl a bone, I do believe he loved his daughter dearly. Yes, for sure. I mean, that's all we know about him. That's even remotely good at this point. So she tells Valerie that he's dead and it's all because of her. And she tells her that the mistress hunter mixed all of this shit up and Beth killed him. And now it's her fault. So then we get to go to every crime show lovers favorite moment the forensic evidence like let's cut to beth's apartment and see that scene 55 
Is this all still playing for you? What do you mean? Something doesn't feel right to me. Detectives. Got something for you. Someone cleaned up. So she killed him, then tried to clean up, realized it was futile, then killed herself? That doesn't make sense. Look at this. Shoe print. Did you check the victim's shoes? Yeah. No blood. And the outline of this print doesn't appear to match her shoe either. So she changed her shoes, then tossed the bloody ones? Or somebody else was here. We did get a nice little forensic moment, which, God bless, I needed that in this movie. Um, These cops are very incompetent. And I would say that Rogers, the, the female cop, she's more interested in digging a little bit, but I can't give her too much credit because she's also very lazy in her work. Williams, on the other hand, cannot wait to just close this case as soon as possible. Like he's just, I mean, this footprint is almost an inconvenience to him. Yeah, there is there is a feeling that the female detective, there are moments where I'm desperately searching for her to to click on and like crack on to what's going on. But um, but she she never quite delivers in that sense. There are, this, there are a few sort of borderlines where she might mention something that she might want to do a little bit digging. But I, I was kind of disappointed. I thought it was going to be full, you know, girl boss regalia and um, the lady police detective would come in and save the day. But she is just as incompetent as her partner, really. And to that point, and like, you know, in terms of equality, I kind of like that they were like, you know what? No, we're just going to categorize the cops as losers. And we're not going to like give this actress much more to play that makes her seem any, you know, different or standout or special, except for maybe a couple questions, a couple prying questions that make Williams realize that there's maybe more to it than he thought. I kind of like that ultimately they wound up just categorizing the cops as kind of useless because it bolsters the narrative that the mistress hunter can get things done that no one else can. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's so powerful, dude. I mean, I got if if mistress hunting could be a, a thing that was popularized without people without cheating men just living in fear of mistress hunters like they are of Chris Hansen who catches all the pedophiles right like I feel like that would be such a badass business to get going like an international business of just like badass underground bitches who are going to fuck up your affair here's the thing how do we know that this isn't happening right under our noses with like fabulous well-dressed women you have um, a great selection of houseplants in the secret offices and warehouses, and we just have no idea. Well, I hope there is. I mean, it it gives us something to hold on to. I mean, the the problem is with the idea of mistress hunting is, you know, like I said, if if people knew that this was out there, it would disrupt the fabric of our entire society because we need these men to get caught, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope there is, I'm sure there is, there's at least, um, have you seen the show love fraud on Showtime? Oh no, it's actually on my list, but I have to try and find some sort of finangled way to watch it. I will just tell you that I'm 
I'm only on episode two. I'm recapping it for a podcast with my friends. So we're actually like holding on to it. And um, it's it's very similar to Dirty John. But at the heart of it, there is a female bounty hunter named Carla who looks like a fucking pit bull dude like she has this like she's gritty as fuck she's got like a leather vest and a t-shirt on and dirty boots and she's just like (laughs) she's like just gnarly man and she has devoted her life to tracking down sons of bitches who cheat on people and is it glamorous no but like carla was really drawn to the job when she found out that she found out she could beat up men and she got to carry a gun. (laughs) So there's a, there's like a a version of this that definitely exists, but not the, not the Hollywood glamor of it all that I know of, but it certainly should. No, probably just using a sheepie in a car. (laughs) Right. No. And you know what? It should be the leader of something like this would be like, a mafia like Don's like daughter. Like it would be like a Victoria Gotti would be very good at running something like this. It needs to be someone who grew up in the crime world and has sort of inherited all this expertise just by osmosis and probably some fucked up DNA, but uses it for good. Yeah. And But I think they're usually too loyal to their men in that world. There's a lot of male worship. So the cops show up back up to her place to ask some more questions after this footprint is discovered. And she said she was home with her daughter. They had dinner around, um, you know, they had dinner early and then their daughter went to bed around eight. And then they're like, from eight on, where were you? And it's like, I don't know. Like, how do, what, what does a mother at, at home alone with her child use as an alibi. Like, is that not convinced? I guess it isn't convincing enough, right? She could have technically gone somewhere, but you're kind of fucked if your only potential alibi is a sleeping child. Yeah, true story. And also I was thinking about that in the context of COVID and what would happen. Well, and not even within the context of COVID. I mean, I'm such a shut-in and a hermit that I feel like if I was asked to, if I was asked to prove my whereabouts, even last night, the only thing that I would be able to throw out there would be like a series of increasingly embarrassing Google searches, maybe. <laughs> but I don't, uh, I don't know. Would I show you this if I wasn't innocent? Like, would I really exactly. show you this pathetic Google? Yeah, the hypochondriac right. in me, Googling. I mean, what is the latest thing I think I have? Oh, I had, I was listening to um, this podcast, Will Kill You, when I felt was trying to go to sleep the other night. And all I could think about was if I had hepatitis, which like, no, probably <laughs> not. But um, I Googled, I got very heavily into Googling hepatitis for a while. So maybe that, I could use that. That's definitely interesting. I feel like especially Williams would be interested in that <laughs> Google search history. Um, the only thing I can think of is maybe because I live at the at a dead end and I'm like the last house at the dead end. I'm thinking maybe my neighbor's ring cameras and the next door neighbor's camera that he has that goes into the driveway. Unless you could see me coming and going. It, I would literally have to crawl through a jungle walks. of trees and 
land up on the highway for for me to get out of my house. So that's all I have. But anyway, um, she says that it doesn't matter where she was, that they already told her that Beth killed him. And he's like, well, now it appears there was a third person. She gets it from the table and she says she has a confession to make. And this is where it's all going to come out. She knew he was having an affair before he told her, but she lied to them the night prior because she was panicked. And they tell her that now is the time to come clean. And she says that Beth was at her house under the guise of being one of her clients. And they're like, yeah, we already knew that. She said that she only did this under the advice of this woman she hired, not a PI. She's called the mistress hunter. Her job is to break them up and gather evidence for divorce. And she says that she can give her friend Valerie's number and Hannah's address is on the, a piece of paper somewhere in the house. She won't be in trouble if she doesn't lie to them again. So when the detectives leave, Valerie calls her and she says she's running behind. Is everything okay? So Valerie was supposed to be over by now. And then, you know, there's this sort of <laughs> very uncomfortable scene where Jackie's like, you know, just like sort of trying to emphasize to her how important it is she gets over and she's like you know what do you mean there was a third person why would they think it's her and jackie's like listen i gotta go to the coroner's office and i really need you to come by and watch michaela but right then the connection breaks up and i have to ask you (laughs) because of the way that the connection breaks up did you think valerie was improvising the connection 100 percent. that was like that was kind of hilarious it was it's exactly the thing that you do when you want to get out of a conversation in um in a movie like this is I just, I, yeah, yeah she was yeah, just like yeah. omitting words yeah. <laughs> it was kind of great and i just love to think of like because i'm a bad liar like that and i think most people would just hang up the phone right yeah but I think I would probably be that dumb and try to fake a f- failure, a signal failure. So Jackie tells Michaela that she has an errand to run. And if Valerie would watch her, she, you know, Valerie would watch her. if She was free, but she can't. So she asked her to come with her. And this little girl's like, OK, like no idea she's going to the coroner's <laughs> office, um, <laughs> which is so morbid when you think about it. Like, I honestly think. My mom probably would have left me home and told me not to answer the phone. So the cops pull up to Hannah's spot and they're positive that she's using this as a chance to take the kid and scram. But they go through the building looking for Hannah's office. I mean, they just basically think that Jackie's sending them on a wild goose chase. And when I tell you that they get to Hannah's office and it looks like that place has been vacant for 60 years, I truly mean like this place... It looks haunted. There's no one there. When all of her, you know, it didn't look great even when Hannah had it, but she certainly put her flair on it. And it looked so drab. I almost wondered like what kind of building they even rented for that. It looked like a little bit of a studio lot in in portions of it. Yeah. Um, used for an episode of Dexter. Yeah, which is like an office set, right? So Detective Rogers, the female uh, officer, she thinks that they may need to check the renters on this place. But Detective Williams says he's zeroing in on Jackie. She's lied twice now, and she's going to get a car put on her. So they're going to basically have someone tracking Jackie all the time. 
Jackie identifies Carl at the morgue and apologizes to his corpse because she thinks this is her fault. And Michaela asks, you know, she's out in the hallway. Michaela asks if they can go home. And Jackie says they just need to check on Aunt Valerie first. So Jackie lets um, Michaela do the honors of ringing the bell, which I thought was cute because, you know, for kids, it's always very exciting to ring the doorbell or push the elevator buttons. It's the simple things in life. And I like it when they include that in a Lifetime movie because it sort of honors the child. Yeah, it's layers. A nice little, nice little human layer, little details. Yeah, and in, in these movies, they rarely give a kid any sort of anything um so there's no answer at the door but after a couple knocks the door swings open slowly so jackie and michaela go in and notice that some of the furniture is thrown around in the kitchen and once they get closer to it they realize that there's bloody splotches all over the floor and when i say splotches i mean it looks like someone dunked a rag in blood or maybe carefully dipped a rag in blood and then placed it there's no sort of like if you were to get like a forensic person in there, like one of those blood experts, there'd be no making sense of the way that this blood is on the floor. But to a layman, I would say that that's just generally terrifying. So Jackie tries to get them out of there. But when they turn around, the cops are already there. And she tells them that there's blood in there. And he tells Rogers to, you know, get the two of them out of there. So Jackie and Michaela sit in the back of the car their car while the cops figure it out and they send csi and when they get to the car uh the cops get to the car he asked jackie what they were doing there and jackie's like i was just worried about my friend is she there and they're like no just a lot of blood so at this point valerie's murdered as well and he tells her to step out of the car he asks her if she knows where she is they say that she sent them uh, to an empty warehouse and the owners say that there hasn't been anyone there in months. So here's a question because I do believe that the landlord co-signed <laughs> on that. How did Hannah get this place? <laughs> Listen, don't question the mistress hunter's methods, but I like that she had to, she packed up real quick. She popped that little yucca plant under her arm as soon as she sensed that there was trouble and immediately got the hell out of Dodge. But, um, I don't know, man. I don't know. But she's she's very mysterious. I mean, who knows if she was dressed up as the landlord interviewing and co-signing for herself. She has so many costumes. Who even knows? That's actually the goddamn truth, <laughs> is that she is probably the building owner. And that's exactly what happened. So she came for Carl, and then she came for Valerie. So she's probably next. That's Jackie's reasoning is that she's the next on the mistress hunters list and she could come for Michaela. I mean, she saw her in the park. The mistress hunter is, you know, she holds all the secrets. So Rogers thinks that maybe the mistress hunter killed Carl and Beth herself. Oh, sorry. She thinks that Jackie maybe killed Carl and Beth herself. And this mistress hunter thing is a made up cover for her. Maybe she was the one who killed Valerie. And Jackie says that it was not her. And if it was, she would never come back to the scene of a murder with her daughter. Good point, Jackie. Um, and he says that she has a lot, you know, he's like, well, you have a lot to lose. Maybe you forgot something and you wanted to get it. And she's like, you know, listen, I have to protect my daughter now that her dad is gone. And Jackie's like, I might need a lawyer. 
And they were like, well, I thought you wanted to cooperate with us. And to that, I say, fuck the cops, dude, because they're this is what they do, man. I would totally get sucked into the same thing. I'd be like, I want to comply. I want to help. And then that shit would this is my biggest fear, honestly, if I'm being honest with you, (laughs) Jackie's exact situation is my biggest fear. So she says that whatever cooperation she does will be in the presence of a lawyer. And then that night, (laughs) this is, by the way, (laughs) probably the most relatable part of the movie for me is that night Jackie is in bed Googling her rights. (laughs) (laughs) She has Google up with like her rights as a citizen. And it's iconic because like, Those are things that like, you know, you probably either know very well or generally take for granted. And when (laughs) you're starting at, you know, the ground floor, you literally are Googling something as simple as like, what are my rights in America? (laughs) What do I, what can I do? So um, at that point, there's like, you know, she hears a sound outside. So she comes downstairs holding a baseball bat and makes sure that the doors are locked. And she opens the blinds on the window, sees an unmarked cop car outside. And she's like, oh, shit, what is that car? But then she hears a voice behind her. And it's fucking Hannah. And she says that, (laughs) well, I'm going to play the scene. But just know that the real secret within this scene that you can't see is there's a person who's hiding in the blinds. So 105.52 to 108.22. This is a fantastic scene. Hold on. They're going to be watching your every move. Easy now. You have such a beautiful home. If you're going to kill me, just kill me. But I ask you, I beg you, leave Michaela alone. I'm not going to hurt her or you. You know, I really do hate these things. But I find it a necessity in this line of work. It's the only thing that's allowing me to give you my message. That you'd have to break into my house in the middle of the night to tell me at gunpoint? Yes, I had nothing to do with your husband's murder. Says the gun wielder. Necessity, I already told you that. Keep up. None of this was part of the plan. You think I want you telling the police about me? I had a really great setup at that warehouse. And then when things went bad, you killed them. No, dear. I relish in making cheetahs sweat, squirm, and regret their actions, not kill them. You need to understand that I'm breaking my protocol by being here. I mean, this is a risk, a big risk. I should have just disappeared. So why didn't you? There's something you need to know. Carl had other mistresses. I got the info off Carl's computer and other credit cards. As you'll see, he's quite the serial philanderer. Go ahead. I shouldn't be hating him right now. I should be mourning him. But this is going to save you. Save me. Every woman in that folder is another suspect in their murders. 
Another lead the police will follow up on instead of focusing their efforts on you. Or giving them more material for motive against me. Oh my god. Valerie? This can't be true. All right. We're going to play a little bit more of that scene, but I wanted to interrupt to say that the hooded figure in the window just took a dirty knife and threw it out in the recycle bin where, you know, every murderer hides their weapon. Um, I fucking love this folder of evidence for so many reasons, but it serves such a important part for the audience, I think, because in order to really justify Carl's murder to, I think, the average person watching, you have to see that he was a prolific cheater and that he was ruthless because I don't think most people would be like, oh, yeah, fuck, fuck Carl, like over Beth, because I mean, that's you know, a long-term indiscretion at best, right? But when you find out that this man was like an absolute player and he was banging one of her friends, like, I think right away we sort of move past the fact that Carl is dead emotionally. Yes, if if there ever was any seed of love or not even love, but compassion for Carl, I think this kills it stone dead. Um, He's a prolific philanderer. And it's interesting how, because we don't get at the front of the front end of the movie, we don't get the um, the paranoid sort of jealous um, wife trope for very long. You know, she's she's basically finds out right out of the get go. I feel like this is the this like this sort of Hitchcockian conspiracy with all of this sort of tangled web is is mirroring what would normally happen if you were watching a wife try and figure out whether or not her husband was cheating on her but it's just happening later on in the movie the same sort of feelings and emotions are happening it's like the paranoia and the sort of like the feeling of gaslighting and the the hits keep on coming and like she's confronted with the evidence and that yeah that's kind of that's kind of how i feel it mirrors it mirrors that paranoia that you'd feel um, if your spouse was cheating on you or if you suspect they were. Dude, you are so right. And I didn't even put together this until you just said it. It's exactly what is so great about this movie is that we're spared any sort of potentially bitchy or paranoid hand wringing on her behalf. Like we go right into the mystery, which is so great. We don't have to doubt our lead for a second because you know, right away in the first moments that seem almost surreal to start with, we're right into the story. And I feel like most scripts would suffer from probably needing to cut the first 15 pages or so in order to get to this point. And they get right into it. It's great. It's so it's actually really effective writing. And it's really effective um, use of time, because the time is the greatest constraint as long as, you know, as well as the commercial breaks and all the stuff that they have to put into it in order to make it fit the format. Um, You're so right about that. So we're going to finish up the rest of this awesome moment between Hannah and Jackie, 108.35 to 109.30. 
They were together. She had to have been the one then to do this right. Or it's another one of those women who's jealous and has decided to take out anyone who ever did anything with your husband. I told you, this can be a messy business. I have to find her. If there's anything left to find. Maybe we can look into this together. I run a one-woman show. Wait, are you kidding me? I've been doing half the snooping for you, and now that I am drowning in all of this, you're not going to help me get out? You got yourself into this. I tried to warn you, remember? I'm a romantic at heart. I always prefer the happy ending. You'll be fine. Just give this to the police and let them do their job. The lack of ego that that took for Mistress Hunter to have Jackie tell her that she's been doing half the work and not say anything or bump on it or whatever is honestly one of the most understated and elegant parts of this movie. Yeah. Also, Hannah's faith in the justice system is somewhat misplaced. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, I will say that, you know, at this point, I'm starting to feel very paranoid about where this story is going to play out. Because in my mind, she hasn't finished going through that folder yet. She doesn't know who else is in there. And Melanie is mysteriously out of town with her sister. Valerie's gone. Like, I'm thinking it's looking like Melanie to me. Yeah, I mean, who else? I mean, who else could Carl possibly be fucking? Everyone, surely. He's a philanderer. Right. I kind of wish that we got to spend more time with the pictures of the mistresses, though, because I bar- you barely get a, a second and a half to sort of form your terrible opinions about these women we know nothing about. Like, I hate, I hate it because that's what they're asking you to do, right? They're asking you to form snap judgment opinions about each of those women and the way that they're styled in the photo and how they're standing with him. And these are probably you know, PAs and like the craft service lady and like whoever's, you know, sort of being pulled in to, to take the shot. Right. And we're supposed to sort of paint a picture of them. We're like, Oh, you know, that lady looks like some slutty met at a bar. And like, who's that lady? You know, she probably, you know, does scratch off tickets with him at seven 11 religiously after work. Like you really, you really are supposed to gather some terrible thoughts about these women. And I almost wish that we had more of a sense of Carl's range, but I will say that Valerie definitely broke the mold. For sure. Though I was kind of hoping that, um, that Jackie would continue going through the pictures in the folder and it would just be Hannah in different disguises. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the real twist. (laughs) (laughs) That is really fucking funny. That is absolutely. If I was Hannah, I would just throw one in like that as a bit. You know what I mean? Just for a laugh, like in the middle of all this, you could use a laugh. Like, oh, your husband was fucking the rainforest boy. So, um, 
Jackie leaves her house and the two sleeping cops outside, um, she wakes them up. She like knocks. She's so innocent. She knocks on the window of the cop car and she tries to hand them the folder that Hannah just gave her. The cops are like, the detectives are going to want to see that. You should hold on to that. And she's like, I just got it from a woman who broke into my house. And no, she is no longer in the house. And so they're like... You know, they, these cops are just, they're, they're night cops. They're just sitting outside of her house. They're obviously not observing anything. They're completely useless with the evidence. And so he's like, listen, I'll call them in in the morning. They're going to want to talk to you. So Jackie puts the folder down on her coffee table. And then the figure in the window is, has been there the whole time, suddenly goes away. So, oh, man. In life, there are so many make it or break it moments. And I just didn't see this being the one for Jackie. But Jackie tells the detectives the next morning that Hannah, the mistress hunter, broke into her house last night and gave her this file, this folder. And um, she goes, nice protection you have out there, by the way. And (laughs) the cop says, it's a real touche because he goes, they were never here for your protection. (laughs) It's honestly kind of like one of the comedic moments in this movie that I really needed for like the cop to just take the wind out of Jackie and be like, no, bitch, you're the suspect. (laughs) (laughs) We're making sure you don't go murder someone else. So she's like, listen, this folder has all of the evidence of my husband's double life, credit card statements, multiple mistresses, etc. In fact, Valerie, my friend, was one of the mistresses. So Rogers opens up the envelope and shows it to Williams. And he's like, is this a joke? And so they turn the papers around. And what do we see? But the art that Michaela was drawing in the first scene. And I felt so satisfied. I was like, this is this is some real, like a movie inspired by a John Grisham novel right now for me. Like, I cannot believe we got a callback to the freaking drawings that the second I saw this child doodling some art, I was like, it would be great if they gave us a callback to that art. It was unbelievable. I was so thrilled. Righteous, righteous indignation. What a wonderful full circle moment. (laughs) So (laughs) they show her the folder. Um, And she, you know, starts looking through the couch for the photos. She's looking anywhere she can to try and find these pictures. And they're like, listen, we know what you're trying to do and it won't work. They say, she's like, you know, you're going to say it's the mistress hunter. You're going to try and make it seem like it's someone else and you're failing. And she's like, listen, if the detectives last night had just taken it, this wouldn't be happening. And William starts to escalate. All right. And she's telling them. So she's telling them that a woman who is missing and is presumed dead was also a mistress. And they tell her that her and her lawyer need to come in for a formal interview and they need a warrant. So um, this is all in process. Jackie uh, decides to pass the gallery wall and take in a moment of her and Jackie um, and of her and uh, Valerie rather. And all of a sudden, all these flashbacks start hitting her, right? Everything is like starting to come into focus all of a sudden. So she calls up her friend, Melanie, who's on her way home from her sister's house. Let's play 112.28 to 113.26. I feel like I have a pretty good poker face. You can't just let him get away with this. 
When the Orsons dropped out of the Miranda property, you think I just shrugged my shoulders and said, oh well? No, I went after them. That is a real estate deal. Yes, and this is more personal. This is more personal. Mel, I'm sorry about everything. You were right about all of this. I wish I had listened to you. It's okay, honey. I know you're not capable of any of this. And I'm sorry I've been out of town the past couple of days. You know I would have been there for you. I know. Listen, can you come over, like, now? Sure. Whatever you need. Just park on the street. Down from the house. Come through the backyard. And I'm going to need to borrow your car. Okay. So... I will say that now I see what can be so haunting about a gallery wall. <laughs> and maybe I understand OJ a little bit better now. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, this is such a fun... Um, I love an echoey, um, realiza- like, realizing things montage. That's my, my jam. And yeah. it's like... It, it, we go like full Hitchcockian in this moment. Like, she's already been like gaslit. To, to fuck because you know she's opened this envelope and not what she thought was in there isn't in there and then melanie's kind of weirdly shady on the phone like very prescriptive oh sorry you know i was out of town for a couple of days and, and then we've got this sort of echoey montage and it just feels like you know who the fuck can you trust jackie like this is this is like a full level conspiracy now dude i know because it's like The thing is with Melanie is that this is truly a color we've never seen on her. She has always been so flat and practical. And now all of a sudden she's showing some caring. Right. But at the same time, you know, she is getting a call from her friend who is the last surviving friend and her husband has been murdered. So I understand maybe the softer side coming out. But there's just something so insincere about how she r- does the read that it's it's like kind of perfect the way that it was done. It's really great. So um, Jackie is looking at real estate on her computer when Michaela comes down and asks her if they're moving. Are they looking for, for something to do with dad? And I have to laugh because this child has been through so much. It is actually appalling. <laughs> Yeah, no one's really, I mean, she's been brought to the morgue. She's um, doing test prep for her SATs. Um, her mother is sometimes a little too honest with her. Uh, and now her drawings are being used as part of a wider conspiracy. But she's always there with a curious question. And she seems actually relatively unbothered by the whole thing. Um, so I'm glad that the trauma that she's experienced hasn't knocked the curiosity out of her. Yeah, no, she'll experience that much later in life. Don't worry, that will sink in. It's just not going to be on our timeline, but (laughs) she will be very affected by this, I'm sure, at some point. Um, It's just, yeah, it's like a lot, you know? I mean, in 48 hours, you go from thinking your parents are getting a divorce to your dad dying to, oh, are we moving? Like, you know, God bless kids. So Aunt Melanie arrives through the back door um, as asked to, and 113.45 113.45 to 115.29. I know we ramp up the clips in the second half, guys, but this movie's worth it. Let's play this. Hey, Bug. Is she going to help you look for Aunt Valerie? I'll explain. 
Why don't you go up to your room and Aunt Melanie will be up there in a few minutes, okay? Okay. I think Valerie did all of this. She carried on with Carl behind my back and then once he dumped her for this other woman, she had me track her down with the mistress on her. She killed them and framed me for it. She even broke into my house and stole evidence. I know this sounds crazy. No, it actually makes sense. I mean, there were signs. She hinted she was seeing someone, that he'd broken her heart, but it was always so vague. I certainly never knew it was Carl. Look, I'm happy to go to the police and tell them. Oh, they would never believe you, not with everything they have on me. So what do you want to do? I think she's hiding out at one of her vacant properties. Yeah, but that could be anywhere. I mean, brokers have keys to any property on the market. Do you remember that Miranda mansion? It was way out there in Acton. She talked about that listing a lot. I was trying to find the address. Start driving. I'll track it down and call you. Thanks. I'm so sorry. Now's not the time for that. You do what you need to do, but promise me, if you find her, you'll keep your distance. Don't be a hero. Call the police. Michaela, I love you. I love you too. Listen to your Aunt Melanie. The expression, don't be a hero, stood out to me in that little exchange because I feel like I've only heard people say it when they were being mocking or when they were (laughs) incredibly serious. I've never heard that like sort of just you know, oh, don't be a hero, like, is a turn of phrase. It's either sort of a fuck you or, like, a, I genuinely mean call the police if you need them. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, like, a really interesting time for Melanie to suddenly grow uh, an entirely new set of, um, I don't know, just to rebalance her moral compass, I guess, because she was so sort of disgusted by the conversation that they had at the pool that was even about the mistress hunter, and now she's like, yeah, Take my, you know, I've bro- I've broken in the back of your house. Take my car. Do whatever you need to do. Don't be a hero. Like, Jesus, like that break that you took, Melanie, really did a number on you. You're much more relaxed now. The other thing that kind of gave me the willies about Melanie is that she comes in and she grabs, you know, she gives Michaela a hug and she says, hi, bug. And I'm like, that's a very... You know, that's definitely an auntie, Melanie. You know what I mean? No one's like calling you their aunt. Like, and and no one's calling you by that nickname, which seems like personal, right? That's like her nickname for her. She doesn't just call all little kids that. They don't call them that unless they care very deeply for them or if they're fucking creepy. And I just remember, you know, being a kid and having some of my mom's girlfriends, like people that she just sort of met and I'd be introduced to. They were either really, really warm to me and right away I saw their warmth and I recognized it or they were performatively warm and like had like a nickname for me early on. And like, that's the vibe I got from Melanie where I was like, "Ooh, you're like a you're kind of not that close. You're kind of like a stranger right now. It's also one of the most awkward hugs ever captured, I think, in television history. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I mean, there's a lot to hug about, and it's a pretty brief hug right now. So 
Um, Melanie gets behind the laptop as Jackie heads out the back. Then we see Williams gets the warrant for Jackie's house. And then Jackie gets the address from Melanie. So there's a lot going on. Then there's a knock at Jackie's door and Melanie answers. She's being tight with the cops as they explain to her that there's a warrant to search the house. And Jackie's not home, though the on-duty cops say that they didn't see her coming and going. So like this is all sort of an exchange they're having about this. And they tell her to stay on the couch while they begin their search. So Jackie you know, finds the house that she's looking for in Acton and the gate to the home is locked, but she can fit in the doors when she sort of opens them. The chain just opens enough for her to fit in. And I wrote in my notes, skinny. (laughs) I was like, you go girl, like fit in between that. And like, I'm not, by the way, I wouldn't judge someone if they didn't, But like, who can see that and not think like, good girl, like skinny fitness, love it for you, Jackie. (laughs) Like, meanwhile, she's probably lost 15 pounds, just nervous this week. (laughs) But um, when she gets inside through the window, she looks around the house and there's this bizarre blow up mattress in the middle of this place that looks like completely unwelcoming. Like, I don't even think homeless people would flop there to be honest um and then we cut back to the house um where the cops are searching and rogers finds the bloody knife in the recycling bin and she literally says hmm (laughs) (laughs) the way the actress (laughs) i don't think it was supposed to be played that way but it's kind it's actually you know some some comedy there so jackie calls melanie who tells her that the police are there and searching the whole house just as rogers jumps in the back door holding the bloody knife in an evidence bag williams comes down to seal the deal but melanie butts in saying that she has jackie on the phone 11849 to 12001. There's someone who wants to talk to you. Hello. Valerie's alive. She's hiding out of the house in Acton. 2310 Red Rover Road. I'm here now. <gasps> Is she there with you? Mrs. Blanchard, Jackie, call the sheriff and act and tell him to meet us at 2310 Red Rover Road. Damn it! You're not supposed to be here! No, 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 no. Who are you talking to? The police. What does Melanie know? What did you tell her? She knows I was looking into your old properties, but not which one. Well, too bad. Did you hate me that much? No, I loved him that much. All right. So I'm breaking this sort of piece up into two because I want to address everything that's just happened. So... I got to tell you, it is very rare that these movies can keep me wondering what happened in suspense this far into a movie. And yeah, I'll say that I definitely thought Valerie was at the bare minimum highly involved, but they really got us with uh, Melanie. She I think she really threw me off as a viewer the first time. Yeah, no, she she's she's 
she's performing shade very well. She's being a shady bitch very, very well. Um, so it was actually kind of um, deeply satisfying to see Valerie kind of come through the door and, and everything sort of, the scales to fall from my eyes and everything to fall to pieces. Also, can we just address Red Rover Road really quickly? Because I laughed out loud <laughs> because it sounds like something you say during a prank call if you were sending like, a fake pizza to someone and they ask you for an address. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very, um, also, especially because this town seems pretty bougie <laughs> where they are. So it's a little bit of like, a, oh, okay. That's sort of, you know, I'm sure there are towns where things are named like that, but like Azusa, California is called Azusa, California because it's A to Z USA. So like it's literally there are places here that are named after dumb shit, right? But not in a neighborhood like this. So I that yes, that's definitely a uh, shocker. But here's the thing with Valerie coming in with this gun, right? When she picks up the phone, she is more upset that Jackie was talking to Melanie than she was when she said she was talking to the cops. Yeah, that's such I I hadn't even thought about that. That's such an interesting detail. She's like, "Oh, well now my friends are going to know." And it's like, "Valerie, babe, everyone knows." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's a great moment because it's like a kid, like a teenager, like, you know, committing a crime and being like, don't, you're not going to tell my mom and dad. Right. And it's like, no, unfortunately, son, I think they're going to find out. So um, let's pick up back here. This was a, a, you know, a kind of a great moment where she's, you know, Valerie says that this wasn't about hating Jackie. This was about loving Carl. So let's finish this out. 120.02 to 121.23. It wasn't easy to accept, but you can't control who you love. And when he broke up with me, and I tried to accept that he had chosen family over love. But then I found out about Beth. So you set me up with the Mistress Hunter to track her down? Did you plan on killing them the whole time? No. I just wanted them broken up. But then, you, then when you showed me that necklace, he bought her... Carl never did anything like that for me. I couldn't let him love someone like that. Leave me for someone like her. So I decided to punish him. Make it look like a murder. Blame it on Beth. But Beth got there too early, so I had to kill her too. Oh, I thought I got away with it. So you framed me? Your best friend to save your own ass? I had no other choice. What about the blood in the apartment? And on your arm, did you do that too? Minor cost in all this ugly business, I guess. People are gonna find out. People are gonna know the truth. But I'll be gone. I'm begging you. Okay. So I'm gonna spare you guys the huffing and puffing that's gonna happen over the gunfight that's about to go out. But basically, um, Valerie, Jackie gets the gun, Valerie gets it away from her, and then the cops come in. And it becomes a game of, you know, Valerie pointing the gun at Jackie, pointing the gun at herself. And it, it's like, what's she going to do? What she's going to do? And Valerie does wind up killing herself. So 
Jackie in the moment actually is kind of mournful over Valerie and you know, she's upset, which I got to give her credit for. I mean, all of this is so um, it's my biggest fear to think that so much of this would go on behind my back. I mean, when you really think about it, the only reason why Jackie maybe even knows about any of this is because of Valerie's jealousy over the affair. I mean, I assume that she might be- might have been the one that went on vacation with him. I don't think Beth went on vacation with him. Right. And, you know, it strikes me that Valerie um, also didn't want to pay <laughs> the four grand for the mistress hunter, so didn't want to put her hand in the pocket also. Um, so it was kind of a nice, it was a nice completionist thing that she could get. Um, she could get, she could get what she wanted out of it and also not have to pay for it. So ideal for her, really. I don't think Valerie would have shown face to the mistress hunter because I think the mistress hunter would be like, you're not his wife, bitch. Like Hannah would never fall for Valerie's shit. And it is, it is, you know, striking at the end of this to really like, you know, be finishing some of these scenes for almost the fourth time at this point. And to think to myself, God, I really don't know who is dumber here. I really don't know. I mean, I can't call any of them, you know, objectively dumb, but like, it's, it's kind of incredible that none of them are the masterminds that they thought they were. And that Beth with her youth was like the final straw for Valerie. Like it's, it's interesting what Beth represented to both of them Yeah, in a way. And it bums me out. No, that's actually really fascinating. You're right. It's like, what happens if you're the other woman and there is a new other woman? My God, layers of, layers of choice. Right. And I, I wonder if there was like, you know, other young women that Valerie knew about, but there was something about Beth that was particularly threatening to her, maybe because Beth, you know, in comparison to the photos of the other women, they looked more sort of like they'd gone through some shit. And Beth had this sort of shininess to her. That, you know, the second that you see her, you're like, oh, of course, like what guy wouldn't choose that to be his mistress? Like she's so young and vibrant. So we go to Jackie, we get the classic lifetime ending of just a peaceful moment where Jackie's sitting in the park in a green dress. And she, you know, this is where we get to sort of realize for the first time how beautiful this actress is because she finally has great lighting and a great outfit on and makeup and hair and all of that. And when you think about it from the moment we've seen her on screen, she's had mascara running down her face and has just sort of looked lifeless. So it really is night and day with Jackie and she's watching her daughter play. And then we hear a familiar voice from across the playground, 123.50 to 125.35. This is when this movie goes from, you know, a sort of okay ending to like really an origin story of what I would like to believe is the biggest girl boss, you know, conglomerate of all time. 123.50 to 125.35. They grow up fast, don't they? You have got to stop doing that. Sorry. Have it. What brings you by? I wanted to apologize for all the trouble. I should have made the connection about Valerie before you were ever put in any danger. I've been taking on too much. Business is good, but the demands is just too much for a one-woman operation. Sounds to me like you could use a partner. I was hoping you'd say that. 
What, me? Oh, come on. Why not? You've got all the skills now. You could really help women out. And maybe, just maybe, we don't give them an option one. We take on clients who are only interested in saving their marriages. I couldn't. I have Michaela to worry about. I'm a mother of three. And I bet your name isn't Hannah, either. It isn't. But I'm happily married. Husband number two. It all works out. You'll see. Here's my number. My real number. Call me. We can talk some more. Sorry, I just needed to hear those piano <laughs> notes at the very end because that's how you know the movie's over. <laughs> yes, that's when you start plotting the um, GoFundMe for Mistress Hunter 2 Adultery Boogaloo. Right. I mean, this should have been a series, honestly. Like, out of, I, I can't believe we watched freaking Inspector Mom with Danica McKellar from Wonder Years, and that was a whole ass series. And this, we just get. A one and done. I mean, I would hope Corona stood in the way of their production on this series of Mistress Hunter. And and that's it. I'm going to just have to choose to believe that because, I mean, maybe they weren't able to get um, our, our actresses together for this. Maybe they weren't able to get Laura Lee Bell and Lydia Look together to do the series. But this is like... This is bomb. Like, I'm so into this whole <laughs> this whole universe. Although I find it highly unlikely that, you know, all credit to Jackie, but almost no credit to Jackie. I feel like Hannah is a lone wolf. And we, as an audience, still do not know her name, which is frustrating in almost a childlike way, where if I saw this uh, saw this movie as a child, I'd be like, Oh, why don't they? Why don't we get to know her real name? Um, but in series, that's in series, we would learn her name probably by the end of like episode two or something. They'd keep us hanging in there. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Do you think Hannah would ask Jackie in real life? In real life, <laughs> and do you think that if these characters were real, that she would go to Jackie and say, "Can you do this?" I mean, no. Even though Jackie has been through the. Mistress Hunter boot camp accelerated on the job learning program, like sort of going through this process and, and very clearly has taken some, um, taken some actions. She's proved herself in all kinds of wonderful ways because I'm sure that 99% of the cases that Hannah deals with don't end in a sort of double homicide. But, um, but no, she's, <laughs> Hannah is operating on a whole nother level. On a whole nother level, I can see, you know, Jackie providing some sort of office support, maybe. But Right, an administrative. Yeah, an administrative <laughs> role. I think she would be great. I think she'd be fantastic on the phones. But um, but no, she's she, Hannah's a lone wolf. The only thing that I really, you know, after, you know, probably a minute and a half of truly thinking about it the only thing i could really guess is that potentially jackie got major money from the life insurance and inheritance from her husband and i would like to know your thoughts on 
the bank account that Jackie's working with now? Are we thinking 2.5 million? Are we thinking five? Are we thinking 12? Because remember, he was getting one of his clients 12% on his portfolio. I'm sure Carl had a incredible life insurance policy. It did not appear that he was a smoker or a drinker. So I'm sure he could probably get top shelf life insurance. Um, what do we think Jackie's working with? I think she's working with at least a five miller for sure. Five to 10. I, I do too. Cause that's easily like in LA Valencia, I don't know. I I would say her house is like 1.5 easy. So that's already, we don't know if they have a vacation home, which by the way, if you have a mistress, that's definitely an asset to have as a vacation home. Because you can say I'm going out of, you know, going out for the weekend on a trip uh, for work. And then you just take the mistress to the vacation house. Unbelievable. Fantastic. Um, And in fact, I would I would uh, view a guy owning multiple properties as a sign against him. If I'm going to be honest, (laughs) I would find a guy with, I know a lot of people would say like, Oh, he's got three houses. Well, I view three houses as actually a negative to be perfectly real with you. Um, Dude, this was such a good movie and I am so happy that we got to know each other and, and tackle this movie together. I feel like this was exactly what we needed. You were fantastic. Um, do you have any final thoughts on this? I had the most fun with this, and I'm really glad. I'm really glad that we had this movie to do because there were some there were some fun options in there, but ultimately this had this had just about everything that one would want and love from this kind of genre of movie, sort of murder, mystery, mayhem, and mistresses. My God, oh, it's just been the most fun. And it's been super fun to, um, to, to hang out with you and, and bond over this. I'm just intrigued because there have been no um, probing questions that were promised at the start, sort of deeply inappropriate questions. But, you know, there's always time for that, Mals. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be happy to have you on and like absolutely troll you if you want. Um, but <laughs> I was just so interested in this movie, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't, I have to say, I, I'm also super envious that you figured out the life hack to marriage. I'm like still, when we took a pee break, I was thinking to myself, God, that she's got it figured out. I would love to literally be in a relationship, maybe see someone five, six times a year, cap it at that. That'd be great for me. I don't know how often you guys see Real each other, cool. but that's, yeah. I think you've got it figured out. Yeah. Used to be more, less um, now. Yeah. Well, listen, I, um, I just want to thank you for coming on again. And you're, it's very late where you are. And so I appreciate you for being up right now. I want to ask, I know you mentioned that you were going to let me see one of your the documentary you were working on. Do you have stuff online that people can see? How can people find your work? Yes. Yeah. Actually, I do have the slave film online and it's at, um, made by Maddox.com. All my stuff's on there. Okay. We will definitely have that linked in the description. Um, 
unfortunately, I do have to go, but fortunately, it is to vote. So (laughs) I do have to go drop off my ballot. Hopefully, yeah, I think I'm going to be the one that fixes it. So this is going to be great because once that vote is in, I've got you, America. (laughs) Things things are looking up from here. But no, Tiffany, I'm so I'm like, I'm I'm so happy we did this. I hope we could do this again. Like, I don't want to be too forward, Uh but I would love if you would come back very soon. And Honestly, as as much as I, you know, started off by saying that I don't love it when spouses or significant others randomly take up for their spouse, like in um in a way that makes it feel like, oh, like, you know, will you please help out my poor spouse who's going through something? Like, I would actually say this was the 100% exact opposite of that and that he did a fucking amazing job of putting us together. Yeah. And this was best case scenario that can happen, guys. So don't be like me and just assume that someone is trying to do some pity favor for <laughs> significant other. Because I'm always like, oh, that's so sad that this man has to email me about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, oh wow, I feel so bad for this woman that she's running around asking favors for her husband. This was not that at all. Your husband just had it on point. So. Thank you so much for doing this, and um, please come back soon. I'll I'll definitely hit you awesome. up. Awesome. Can I send you? To, can I text you TikToks for the rest of the week? Is that okay? I have so many I want to share with you. Yeah, you can. You have my number. You're locked right. in. I'll even now. You know what? After this, I'm actually going to save your number. So. <laughs> oh wow, it's real. <laughs> We're going to be. Yeah, we're going to be locked in after this. I am so excited. Thank you so much for coming on, you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.